Welcome back to The Rewatchmen, where we don't review movies, we re-review them. I am your co-host, Benjamin Toe, and right across from me is... TC DeWitt! Yay! How are you, sir? I'm alright, how do you feel about the fact that you just did the intro? That was pretty cool. Yeah. Mixed it up a little bit, threw me a curveball. (laughs) It's because I have to sit and edit it. Like, I always, I always edit these episodes, and I have to hear myself do the same inflection on the intro every time that it, it's reached a point now where I'm like, I need to do something different. But it's a beautiful <laughs> What are we doing today? We are watching Blade 2. 2002's Blade 2? That is correct. Written by David Goyer. Ugh. Once that came up on the credits, I was like, nah! <laughs> hey, he did uh, Batman Begins and Dark Knights. He has... He, at least he has a writing credit on those. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, directed by... Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo. Our favorite of the three amigos. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's not that's not you just being a jerk. I'm not being racist. They that's actually, actually their moniker. <laughs> there actually is a moniker. It's Irinitu is one. Irinitu and uh, Alfonso Caron. There you go. Yeah. There. So they kind of grew up with each other and made films. Or they kind of like the... The film school brat pack of their generation. Okay, yeah. they're they're sort of like Tarantino and Rodriguez, mm-hmm. but you know, but Mexican. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we go down a dangerous path. <laughs> so, so we are taking a break from the political conversation. It may seep in here. Who knows? But uh, Ben, you you this is your idea. Yes, you want you, we were going to do V, but we'll do that next week. I know you and I are both fans of holidays in general and holiday themed things, mm-hmm. and I kind of Arbor just, Day, Ar- <laughs> especially Flag Day and Boxing Day, mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of forgot that Halloween was right around the corner. So, and um, I know you're you're not like fancy on traditional horror films, so I thought, why not? Why not like a quote unquote horror action film, mm-hmm. something that we actually you know reference all the time over and over again, which was Blade Two. As as one of the being one of those uh, first superhero action films, That's, along with yeah. Blade One, this is uh, yeah Blade. The first Blade is often overlooked, but that's that was the the comic book movie after Batman and Robin. Yes, after Batman and Robin had ruined comic book movies, <laughs> Blade came along, and then a new generation. Yeah, then Spider Man and X Men came along, but mm-hmm. Blade started, and Blade Two. Follows that tradition of the second movie, amping it up. Yeah, it's very, it's very much a sequel movie. <laughs> this, this is a great rewatch, though. Yes, because, and I've said it before, but my favorite rewatchmen are the ones where it is a movie we remember, we think we remember well, mm-hmm. we have a strong opinion about, and and going back and reevaluating it because it's been a good number of years since I've seen this. Yes, I, I don't think I've seen it since. Around that time, which was 2003, 2004. I, I have the DVD, which yeah. is what I was able to watch it on. No, I was just telling Candace that Blade 2 was the last VHS I ever bought. Wow. I bought it used at Blockbuster. VHS. Yes. I, um, remember, I remember it fondly, man, because it was like, <laughs> rated R. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when, when was the last time you saw, or better yet, we can backtrack and ask, when was the last time you saw Blade 1? Blade One, I have seen more recently than Blade Two. Okay, um, I did a. I was working on a 
I was hired to rewrite a script, mm-hmm. and it was a vampire-themed script. And there were things in the script that felt a little too similar to Blade yeah. that I needed to rewatch Blade to be sure I was remembering correctly. And sure enough, I was like, oh, this is so similar. I need – so in my – what I was hired to do was rewrite the script, so I was able to tweak as much of it as possible so it doesn't look like a straight-up rip-off of Blade. <laughs> so I just recently watched that – I don't know, like three months ago. Okay. Yeah. And how did that stand the test of time for you? <laughs> well, Blade, it's it it held up all right. Mm-hmm. There is still. I'm I'm gonna. I know we we tout Christopher Nolan for his successes, and we're definitely fanboys of him. But I think you can divide comic book movies into eras, and. Blade is definitely part of the pre-Dark Knight era mm. in that it still has a comic book movie feel to it. Yeah. And and there's a little a, a little more winking and nodding than something that's taken much more seriously like the Netflix series, mm. which will certainly have its calls to the comics and the source material, but it wears it a little less on its sleeve. And the first Blade wears it on its sleeve like, yeah, this is a comic book movie. <laughs> So you get the wrestling moves, like the WWE wrestling moves, mm. which we get again in Blade 2. Yeah, you get a nice uh, German suplex, <laughs> which was super unnecessary. <laughs> but the but Blade's script holds up nicely, and the character holds up. Like Wesley Snipes really brought that character to life in the, mm. in the first one, and, and obviously we're going to discuss the second one now and, and how what improved, what might not have improved. Yeah. Uh, but how about you? When's the last time you watched the two of them? Uh, Blade One, I haven't seen since it was available on VHS. Okay, so, so that was like, quite some time ago. Yeah, early two thousands, definitely for sure. And then this one I own, and so I watched it uh, multiple times on VHS as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't seen it probably since um, mid mid two thousands. Okay. And uh, yeah, upon ro- watching again last night, I held up. You held up for it you. Up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the let's see. Let's let's talk good. Okay. Let's talk about what what holds up. What's good? What I mean to the man himself, yeah. Wesley Snipes. I think oh, the the man himself. He's very. You kind of forget how charismatic Wesley Snipes is mm-hmm. because of all his um, off screen stuff. Yeah, he got uh, had to go to prison for a little bit for tax evasion. Tax evasion. <laughs> <laughs> and then his career kind of never never got back on track after that. He I was mean, in Expendables three. He was. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. He, he was that action hero that kind of, I don't want to say peaked too early, because he had a good body of work, mm-hmm. but it didn't have the longevity as a Stallone or Schwarzenegger or even a Van Damme. But he's definitely part of that club. Yes. Be- he. I was telling Candace because I appreciate that Wesley Snipes knows how to fight. Yes. He's a very physical actor. Yeah. And he, he, he attempts to do all of his own stunts, mm-hmm. much like... Keanu Reeves and Tom Cruise. He's part of that school of it'll look better if I do it. Yeah. Um, and I think I, he has I, a black belt in Shotokan, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. And he Shodokan, uses yeah. ninja ninjako. Am I saying that right? Is that a thing? Yeah. He he <laughs> he he is a trained martial artist, yeah. and and that's cool. And I, I appreciate that, especially in an action movie, to be able to see. Yeah, they did a lot of <clears throat> mediums and a lot of wides mm-hmm. where they couldn't. It it wasn't it didn't seem like a stunt double. Yes, and I really yeah. appreciate that. Interestingly, he did have a double during the movie mm-hmm. because he made four movies in two thousand uh, in the year that this came out. So he really? wasn't available some of the days of filming. Yeah. So any scene that Blade didn't have lines in, they put a body double in. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, and but, his lines are already very limited. <laughs> <laughs> but speak to to continue the path of his fighting ability and his technique. 
I did not like how this movie was edited in those fight scenes. Yeah. When they would let those the moves breathe, mm-hmm. when you can actually watch him kick some ass, mm-hmm. it was so much better. Yeah. But then they'd start getting in that that cut, 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 cut unnecessarily. Yeah. The man can move. We can see he can move. I just wish we could watch it better. Yeah, this was definitely, it fell victim of that early 2000s music video style action film. Yes, yeah. Where it's like, boom, 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 boom. And there's no, like you said, there's no room to breathe. There's mm-hmm. no, you can't really tell who's who because everyone's black leather clad. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do appreciate, because the one thing about, because Guillermo was just kind of getting his name, recon- yeah. getting some recognition. Very early in his, in his Hollywood career. Yeah, this is probably his his biggest film at that time. And so I I appreciated his voice and his vision right away because like uh, creature design wise, mm-hmm. um, no, the Nomak style uh, vampire was interesting. I haven't seen anything like that where the mouth just the chin just split yeah, open. Yeah, that that almost predator looking. Yeah. With the, yes, the it's art direction. Like fly trap uh, type of thing is is very interesting. And, and that that's what makes this movie better than the first one. Yes. Is the the vision behind it? Mm. Uh, definitely, definitely. More interesting look. I, I think even more. It's better paced. Like, I don't remember too much about Blade 1, mm-hmm. but this one, it felt really feverishly brisk. Yes, and, it is. Um, especially the first half. There's a little bit of lull. I think two hours is a bit too much for this movie. Mm-hmm. 90 minutes would have been nice and tight. It would have been really good. Yeah. yeah. Trim, trim it down mm. slightly. But it, it there is no room to breathe. It's just, it's a breakneck speed. Yeah. But, again, the editing, I feel, it, it's the motivating a cut. Mm. It's it's editing is such an art, mm. and when you see good editing, you don't know it yeah. unless you're unless you're a film geek like us, where you can you can actually start appreciating how things are edited together. A what what makes a an action movie even better is when the cuts are motivated, and so you can see a sh- like a shitty fight scene from something where it's like clearly the actor doesn't know how to do the moves, so they just cut around it. But uh, then you can see something like I'm going to use the most recent Daredevil series as an example mm-hmm. of keeping the camera back, letting it, letting the actors do their thing, and and getting it in real time and real moves and not chopping it up. Mm-hmm. I think Daredevil season one was better for that than season two. I think there's a little more chop 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 in in season two, and <coughs> Wesley Snipes can do these moves. I I I don't know if that is a mistake of the editor for this for Blade Two, or if it was Del Toro, not trusting that. Hey, we can we if it's a little slow, that's okay. It's yeah. still cool to see the moves, but that's just a complaint for me. Is mm. that I wish that the fight scenes would have breathed a little bit more. Yeah, I do wonder if that was his creative decision because I, I do remember watching something like Hellboy, mm-hmm. and while there's not like necessarily hand to hand combat in that, well, there is, but. Um, just in the action sequences in general. I was watching a little bit of it last night, too, because I was like, oh, man, I'm, one, I'm kind of on a Del, Del Toro kick. kick yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's it's pulled back. There's no shaky cam. There's no quick editing. It's You really get to see like the artistry of everything, mm-hmm. of the entire set, the design, the characters, and the fight flow. And I just wonder, because watching this film again and having seen a few a handful of other Del Toro movies, right. there is something not very del toro about it yes yeah, yeah. And i wonder if that's a new line thing because i do know no, new lines notorious for these kind of movies back in the early 2000s mm-hmm. like kind of like the trashy matrix ripoff action <laughs> movies. <laughs> this is definitely a this movie blade 2 is definitely a product of a post matrix era yes yes in its 
Because uh, to continue on the fight, did we need to see the rubber CGI blade moves every now and then? <laughs> because boy, do they stick out like a sore thumb. Gandis was saying that it was uh, very reminiscent of PlayStation Two graphics. <laughs> <laughs> it just—I don't understand why that at the time was. This is the new way to make action movies mm-hmm. because. Wesley Snipes can jump through the air and come down with the sword. But, yeah. Okay, he can't do a, f- a double flip before doing it. So let's get <laughs> let's get the Harry Potter broom puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, hang on, barrel roll. <laughs> it, yeah, like everything was very flashy for a necessary purpose. Mm-hmm. And I, I think now that you mentioned the Matrix, it's. It made sense for the Matrix because they were plugged into an alternate virtual reality. Right. Where it was, so you could rationalize it. <laughs> yeah, it made sense that they could do these superhuman things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't remember a time, even like having very limited knowledge of Blade in the comics, mm-hmm. where he could kind of perform these moves. <laughs> well, Wesley Snipes rein, reinvented the character mm-hmm. in that first movie, and did and continued to do so in this one. Yeah. Um, and so he moves. To Wesley Snipes' ability, mm-hmm. not what the comic had. Because the comic, he was much more of a Van Helsing style. Okay. He wasn't a ninja. He <laughs> <laughs> was more of like a, just like a uh, bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but Wesley Snipes is charming as hell. He's, even when he's doing dumb stuff like nearly hitting his car and going... <laughs> or doing the, he does the pile driver, right? Yeah. Or the suplex or whatever, he picks the guy up straight up and just... <laughs> leans back. <Doomstone. laughs> so he is great, and and he is a he's a good leading man. He's yeah. a good title character. He's he's badass. He's Blade. It's weird. I never thought I'd utter the words. I miss Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can discuss later mm-hmm. what the future of Blade might be. Mm-hmm. But um, let's let's discuss let, what 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 happens in this movie. What. What's the story in this movie? What's, what's this movie all about? Sure thing. So in it, case those listening might not have seen Blade in a while and just want a <laughs> quick little refresher. It, it basically picks up right after the first film. And um, Blade is a quote-unquote daywalker, which means he's half human, half vampire. All their strengths, none of their weaknesses, weaknesses. <sighs> except the blood. Except the blood part, <laughs> which is kind of a big part. Um, so, And now there's this new breed of vampire, uh, kind of like this super genetically breeded vampire the uh, reapers the reapers yeah. and one of them led by nomac mm-hmm. a very mysterious super vampire that's going around killing both human and vampires and so now the league of vampires or whatever they're called uh comes to blade asks for a truce so they could join up and create this super mercenary vampire team called the blood pack mm-hmm. so they can hunt down nomac and his reapers there you go that's yeah. the movie that's the movie <laughs> <laughs> now uh there is no character development in this in this uh, movie TC, and it's um, it's something that I never thought would bother me as much. So mm-hmm. ever since I I do like this movie a lot because I, I own it on VHS. Um, <laughs> but yeah, watching it around this time with like a more mature lens, even though I wanted to appreciate it as a dumb action film, and I wish I did for many of its elements. Mm-hmm. Like you can't. There was like zero characterization whatsoever, especially for the blood pack. They had very cool designs. They had they all had, like, a neat purpose, and a yeah. weapon, too. Specialty. Specialty. But um, it just felt like a video game. Yeah. You got uh, um, Ron Perlman leading the blood pack mm-hmm. as Reinhardt. <laughs> he never took his sunglasses <laughs> off. He never did. Yeah, the whole time. And Del Toro is you know, loves him some Ron Perlman. That's I Hellboy. Think he's in, like, 90% of 
his movie. Yeah, there. somehow Del Toro will always find a reason to put Ron Perlman in, Which and that's awesome. okay because I, I that's amazing. And um, there's Nisa, who is the mm-hmm. female lead in this. She is the daughter of that one vampire. Nosferatu. <laughs> he's so creepy <laughs> and rubber face there's there's a good there's a good number of others the dude from Fast and the Furious there's the the, the Mexican guy and his girlfriend who has the pink hair <laughs> Donnie Yen who choreographed a lot yes. of the fights in this what, which is which was so cool because like that was the first time I remember him, seeing him in an American film yeah yeah. and and now he he choreographed some of the fight scenes and then there was Wesley Snipes team member mm-hmm. his his choreographer that yeah. he uses all the time he's like i got my own yeah apparently there was a little bit of a rivalry oh. between the two because it was two different stunt teams dang and so now that would have been a cool fight yeah <laughs> <laughs> danny Yen's stunt team versus wesley snipes stunt team yen and snipes um but uh yeah there was because the the movie's so fast yeah which is fine, especially in an action movie. You do sacrifice a little bit of a lot of characters, character exploration. Yeah. That they really just come down to archetypes and standard team members. But then even then, some of the team members weren't unique from each other. You had the redheaded guy who gets mauled in the club. Yeah. Was he that much different than the, the dude with the mullet? <laughs> yeah, like what – what differentiated him from the other guy was like simply he was a Scottish guy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> priest. That was his name. Priest, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, and he, what was his specialty? He just got eaten so quick. <laughs> he uh, he didn't like half blood vampires. <laughs> he only liked pure blood vampires. <laughs> He's a speciesist. But and let's see, Nisa has a little bit of of an arc in that she is the daughter of the leader, mm-hmm. and Nomak. Oh, by the way, if you're listening to this, we do not hold back there's we discuss this as though you have seen the movie so this is an older movie and spoiling it's not really going to do much for you so but <laughs> oh my god seriously <laughs> no mac no mac is her brother yes or half brother i don't understand yeah they never established because uh nosferatu was like talking about test tube babies mm-hmm. essentially so i was confused like was he a test tube baby how is he related to well so, i guess if he's Genetically altered using Nosferatu's DNA, mm-hmm. uh, I guess that would be a half brother then. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> that's so maybe he was the first <laughs> successful Tessa. This is Goyer's fault. Yeah, this is David Goyer's fault. Hack City. Like David Goyer, I, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like David Goyer has some great ideas and he executes pretty good scripts. It's when he teams up with a second person who can go in and clean up mm. that you get something like The Dark Knight because yeah. jo- Jonathan Nolan. And David Goyer wrote that t- wrote that together with with Christopher Nolan's concepts and ideas. Yeah, and Goyer does have some reasonably cool ideas. Mm-hmm. I just don't like like uh, Blade Three. Dracula's the big bad guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. bless you. Sorry. Dracula's the big bad guy, and Lincoln. Lincoln. It's, uh, it's Dominic <laughs> Parcell. And what what I'll give the Blade trilogy credit for is that their three villains are three different, very different villains. Yeah. A lot of what happens in superhero movies in franchise pictures that the villain just starts becoming the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, our beloved Fast and the Furious franchise. Seven movies in, can you name every villain? Jason Statham. Right. Like they all kind of bleed together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the okay. in the Blade trilogy, you have Deacon Frost, who's this young upstart who wants to overthrow the the Vampire Council and resurrect 
a super vampire demon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Blade 2, you have Nomak, who is seemingly the villain, who is just a parasite, just tearing through the world. Yeah. He's like, Blade, I, I'm do- I, we're on the same side. I'm destroying vampires. And Blade's right. What happens when all the vampires are gone? You're not going to stop. Yeah. So you're still my enemy. Mm. And then the third movie is, is Dracula, who's who's come back from the dead to see what the state of vampires are. Yeah. And not approving of it, mm-hmm. and deciding to make Blade his enemy. That's three very distinctly different villains, and three very good ideas. Yeah, and that's that's Goyer. Goyer wrote all three of the scripts with, I, I think he did them all by himself. All mm-hmm. three of them are individually his ideas. Yeah, and he directed the last one. Yes, he directed the last one, which I always cite is this is what happens when you let David Goyer do whatever he wants. You full get, Goyer, you get Blade three, <laughs> the full Goyer. <laughs> but the the script of this, it. It feels like New Line said, no, cut, 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 cut. Mm. Uh, The only scene that I know of that was cut from the original script was a exploration of a relationship between Nyssa and Blade. Yes. Even going so far as apparently they had a sex scene in the original script. Whoa. (laughs) Now, that wouldn't have been a sudden sex scene. There would have been a development to that relationship Mm. up to a point. And you see hints of it Mm. in the script that that he cares about her to go rescue her. He sacrifices himself by splashing the the pheromones on his body mm. to to save her. I don't know if that's an earned relationship. It was felt very unnatural. Yeah, yeah, and possibly in a longer cut of this movie, which I am not asking for, <laughs> but possibly in a more a, a longer script, yeah. a longer story, uh, more character development could be could be explored. Um, but I I do think that everyone in this movie, every Ron Perlman, the actress playing Nissa. Blade, Chris Christopherson, who we can we have to still talk about. Nomad, everybody really embraced their character. The people who had stuff to do, other yeah. than the Blood Pack, which was were all these throwaway characters. Mm. I feel like the the five or six main characters really embraced who these char- who they were supposed to be, yeah. and played up those those their motivations and their mm. characterization. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, totally agree. Um, I don't know. They're just seeing enough David S. Goyer films, <laughs> you can kind of tell where he falters. And he falters hard. Like, um, I think he's a guy who has a strong knowledge and appreciation for comic books. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of uh, nods and hints to like the Marvel Universe in here and whatnot. And the Dark like, Knight Returns. Yeah. The Man Without Fear. Yeah. Wearing a BPRD shirt, which I bet you was Ge- Del Toro's decision that. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I mean, those things are cool, but I think he gets... Those things get too much, become too much of the forefront of the film, mm-hmm. um, and characterizations kind of take a seat back. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like Nisa, she kind of bursted onto the scene. They had that really cool. Uh, her and Blade had that really cool sword fight mm-hmm. in front of the, the, lights. the lights. Yeah, um, I was just like, "Where's this character throughout the rest of the film?" Because mm-hmm. she's kind of just moping around and um, kind of. You never Almost get to you, incompetent. Yeah, you never get to see her be a badass again. Yeah, and she was on Blade's fighting level, fighting yeah. stu- like skill and stuff. She almost took him down and whatnot. And and aside from that, like that scene kind of made no sense. Cause <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to fight. Your pe- truth first sword fight. <laughs> your people, your people shot at us first. I as soon as they said that in the movie, I was. I said to Candace, like they could have knocked. They could have just like walked up and like, hello, white flag. <laughs> <Chris>. <laughs> Now they, uh, let's talk. Let's talk Chris Christopherson. So Whistler's character, mm. they very quickly bring him back. Mm. Whistler dies in the first movie. He Blade walks away as Whistler's dying from his bites and he doesn't want to turn, so he kills himself off screen. 
So they were able to use that to bring him back, that that he was being held captive by the vampire people in order to tempt Blade. This is a really shoddy set of contrived circumstances, by the way. (laughs) And we'll get to the second character I want to talk about. But Chris Christopherson's Whistler is brought back. They found a nice way to bring him back. I'll give I'll give him credit for having a nice, clever, seemingly mostly clever way of bringing him back. Mm-hmm. And once he comes back in, he he plays that gruff mentor ish character to Blade. But not ex- they don't explore that father son relationship with Blade yeah. enough. That's also another un- unearned relationship. Yeah, because there's these like high emotional beats at near like the uh, the the not the crux the uh, the crest of the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm between Nisa and Whistler and you're supposed to be moved by these words or these actions or these sacrifices that these characters are making yeah but you kind of it ends up being feeling like hollow and cold because you know none of these ideas were explored at the beginning at all you know there's just kind of a playful relationship between Blade and Whistler but yeah um, I mean between like the first hour and a half or so like you don't really get any more than that it's Mm -hmm. very superficial and that again, a longer script mm-hmm. or a longer film could have explored three those. hours, three, eight, two and a half, two and a half. <laughs> the two forty mark. You know the the traditional superhero two forty, <laughs> <laughs> the classic action blockbuster standard now. <laughs> and there was there was elements of Whistler's return, and not just his relationship with Blade, but having Scud, Blade's new sidekick, be in mm-hmm. the mix, which is it. At the beginning of the film. Norman ne- Reedus at his wiggerish. ish <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scud is a neat character, again, when we first meet him at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. and see him through a good two-thirds of the movie. Yeah. He's a neat sidekick. He's he's kind of a sloppy street asshole smoking weed all the time. Reminds me of Eminem. <laughs> like, he has very Detroit... Isms to himself, hip hop, Detroit hip hop. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought he was really neat, and like what they ended up doing with his character at the end, I was like, where th- this kind of came out of it, nowhere. It comes out of nowhere <laughs> that he is suddenly a bad guy. Yeah, there were hints, <clears throat> like I guess little hints that he was gonna that someone in the group was was. Like, they wanted you to think for a moment that maybe Whistler was mm. still working for the vampires, but that wasn't explored enough. Yeah. And when Scud turns around, I was like, ha-ha, it was me all along. What? <laughs> it, was, it was completely unnecessary yeah. for him to turn like that and a, and a waste of what a cool character he was. Yeah. If, if Whistler and Scud had survived together to move into a third film, mm. and that trio is a team of... Like Blade and his crew, yeah. That that's an opportunity missed, mm-hmm. and I, and I f- and I'm disappointed that this the sudden character character turn of Scud was. Yeah, I was working for them all along, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop, and also that little uh, detonator. Mm-hmm. That part of me knows that. <laughs> <laughs> so Blade puts a detonator on the back of Reinhardt Ron Perlman's character to prevent Reinhardt from being a, a dick, mm-hmm. so Blade can just. Beep, 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 beep. I blow up your head if you talk shit to me again. <laughs> and and when he finally decides to blow it up, it's a dud. So yeah. Ron Perlman rips it out, tosses it to Scud. Scud's holding it, admits he's a bad guy, and Blade says, I've been on to you this whole time, and that's not a dud. And Norman Reedus' Scud says, oh, great, and then blows up. Yeah. In spectacular fashion, by mm-hmm. the way. That was a very good body explosion. It's very satisfying. <laughs> but it's just, what? 
if if it didn't work the first time, then like, and if he knew the yeah. entire time, like, I don't understand. I'm why why not just blow Reinhardt up? Yeah, and then oh, by the way, Scud, I know you're a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a mishandling of a cool character, um, but uh, Norman Reedus does a good job. Mm. I like the Scud character. I like this. Uh, this uh, Whistler's replacement is so much different than him. They have a nice yin and, yin and yang relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and again, that's a credit to this series having a nice variety in the three films. Whistler being the sidekick mentor in the first one, and then being replaced by this young idiot in yeah. the second one, who's also very very smart because he's yes. able to make all the weapons that Blade uses in the second one. I thought he, Norman Reedus, uh, you know, you kind of forget. How charming Norman Reedus can be mm-hmm. because on Walking Dead he's like he's got two lines now. He's so stoic. Yeah. <laughs> he's like just grunting, grunting his way through the Atlanta woods. <laughs> but like in this film, he's like a smart ass. He's super smart. Um, he he's just like I, I don't give an f about anything. I like that. when he's panicking when the van gets attacked. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's he's whimpering, mm-hmm. but he's still trying to like I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive. Yeah, it was very real. Yeah. Uh, so I know we, we seemingly are kind of like nitpicking this movie a lot, mm-hmm. but... It's mostly, for me, my biggest gripe was uh, story. Story and character, because mm-hmm. I feel like you there, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. I feel like it actually would have been better if there was subtraction involved, mm-hmm. because um, as much as like Whistler and Scud and a few of these other elements, I feel like yeah. if they weren't in there, if if what if we opened the movie with Blade grieving? over Whistler's death mm-hmm. still. He's still haunted by it. And the vampires asking him for a truce, that gives him a new purpose to hunt rather than just to do it um, uh, kind of like going through the motions mindlessly because he's still grieving or whatever. Yeah. You know? The things you do as a PTSD survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that would have been really interesting. It could have been a full-on team movie because I think they were hinting at that. Yeah. But the team was so undynamic and uninteresting that it was mostly just Blade, and then it's it's basically uh, Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really like the entire. It wasn't fully formed team, mm-hmm. and so um, it missed the mark because there's too many things going on. I believe, uh, and that uh, and that does cause the movie to suffer. How- mm-hmm. Now, actually, something worth mentioning though is the look of the movie. We talked about the art direction and. And, and the character design, but the cinematography and the and the lighting of this movie yes. feels very very similar to the Netflix series of, uh, of the Marvel of stuff, the Marvel right? Netflix series. Yes, there's the the tungsten yellow and the cobalt blue, mm-hmm. like the very sharp differences in the the lighting and the not the camera movements per se, but the the framing of some of the shots and the look of some of those shots. It felt very contemporary for a yeah. movie that came out over a decade ago, which is crazy to say out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it 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 looks and feels a lot like what Netflix is doing now with yes. their with their street level shows, mm-hmm. which makes me want dare to, uh, dare to want which makes me want Blade in the. Marvel Cinematic Universe at street level. Would you want Wesley Snipes to come back as like an old grizzly blade? I would not. Okay. As as charming as as Wesley Snipes in, is in these films, it still feels a bit nineties. Okay. Like his style 
still feels it feels dated. A lot of wink, wink, one liners. Yeah, and and I think bringing in some, and surely there'll be people who'll be like, "Oh man, you should just bring Snipes back." You should, I think it's an opportunity for a new, like my Coulter being mm-hmm. Luke Cage. Obviously, Luke Cage had no place in pop culture before this. In general pop pop culture, those of you yelling right now that you've loved <laughs> Luke Cage since the eighties. <laughs> It would give an opportunity to to make a new blade yes. as opposed to re, returning to this blade. Mm-hmm. It's like Daredevil could have been Ben Affleck. Would you want that? No. No, right. no, no, no. So I, I I feel like this – even these movies feel like they could exist in the current MCU. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing so not Marvel about these movies that, it, yeah. that it's, it's displaced. It does feel like it could fit in that the Netflix – corner of the universe totally and it's one genre that the mcu hasn't hit yet which is horror mm-hmm. so i think it'll be very it'll be fa- it'll be very fascinating i i would be willing i think they could find a really neat way to explore it's the only, one of the problems though is that are vampires really a thing right now it's really it's they they kind of missed the mark on kind of capitalizing on that market which was 10 years ago yeah it's it's <laughs> Courtesy of Twilight, yeah. I think people are a little tired of vampires right now. Don't get me wrong; I know Vampire Diaries is still going strong on the CW, and there it definitely has its audience. Damn, it's still on. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that it's fair to say vampires are not a thing right now. Yeah, and well, until they find a new way to explore it, like a Blade Netflix series, <laughs> they have to do it. They got to do it like this, though. It's got to be unsexy because. Like, I mean, this is sexy in a way where it's, like, really grimy and gross. Mm-hmm. Unlike Twilight, where they're all just beautiful and have six packs. Oh, yeah. it's <laughs> And and Blade 2, improve, we talked about improving. Yeah. The first movie's vampires are gross. Mm-hmm. They they have a, a gross quality to them, but there's still that sexy vampire. Yeah. Nomak and his Reapers are disgusting. That's... It, that still holds up. I would love oh, to see the yes. Reapers come back. The 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 makeup and and again credit to Del Toro, he designed the Reapers. Yeah, are so that holds up. The CG for like the noodle people, which we which I criticized <laughs> the, earlier, that doesn't hold up. Yeah, but the 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 Reapers hold up, and the vampires busting into dust. I think holds up really nicely. That was too. really cool. How yeah. they just disintegrate. And- Oh, yeah, that's such yeah. a cool effect. The only downside, though, is that there's twice in the movie where it's uh, um, so Whistler's in the back of the trunk, mm. and Scud comes up and he goes, "Oh, he's alive." Well, yeah, if he was dead, he'd be a pile of ashes. Yeah. <laughs> and when Nissa is unconscious and Blade checks her heartbeat, mm. it's like, "Yeah, she's not dead. If she was dead, she'd be a pile of ashes." Look, come on, <laughs> don't you know your own logic? <laughs> <laughs> but it. It still looked amazing that that ex- the dusting looked really cool. Yeah, and when and, Ron Perlman got chopped in half, <laughs> <laughs> freaking Ron Perlman! He's so he's so good at being bad. <laughs> I, I Ron Perlman is I feel underrated. Yes, because he is so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pulling for him to be Cable. I've said it before. I think he's capable of handling the drama and the comedy, mm. and he's he already has such a place in comic book history in in alternate not comic books but alternate media yeah. of comics. He was he's Clayface, he's Deathstroke, he's Hellboy, he's Reinhardt. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's so ingrained into that culture mm. 
you you better believe he knows how to bring it. Yeah. He he's not going to come in and just get a paycheck. He commits. A lot of fans are clamoring for Stephen Lang. Though. Stephen Lang would be great too. Yeah. And I at first I thought, no, oh, no, Stephen Lang. I don't know if he can handle the humor. But then I was reminded of Men Who Stare at Goats, which yes. <laughs> he's quite ridiculous in that. Yeah. So I, I do think that Stephen Lang probably could do a good cable. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Ron Perlman's a mustache twirling bad guy in this. Yeah, and it, it looks like he was having a lot of fun though. Yes, unlike. Yeah. Unlike the father, who was like, I, I felt like he was trying to do Shakespeare in the Park. It was, <laughs> it was such a bizarre, like, not only was his character really bizarre looking, but mm-hmm. the way he performed it, it was two different movies. It felt like Underworld and Blade 2. Oh, yeah, it, it did have some Underworldisms <laughs> yeah. to it. <laughs> he felt like the Marcus character from that, uh, Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was just, I just, I had to pause when, um, Nisa entered his lair, and she was like, father, and then you just saw this slimy Ivan Hughes looking guy. <laughs> He's like, ah, hello, hello, my child. But um, I, sa- I want to say, though, the true villain, which is Nomak, mm-hmm. he was really good. The the performance? The performance and, like, the arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been, obviously, a lot better because they didn't flesh him out. Yeah. But he had this tragic villain arc that mm-hmm. was not... It was not in Blade 1 or 3. Like, those baddies are, like, they're just bad. Right. <laughs> but <clears throat> this guy is kind of like, it wasn't his choice to be born or exist, mm-hmm. especially in the, his condition. And so when he, you know, perished, when Blade stabs him in the heart, and he's like, oh, it, it actually hurts. And he almost it almost was, like, joyous to him because now he can end his pain, which is existing. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very profound kind of moving moment and his performance though it wasn't yeah it, i don't even give credit to gory for that because he probably wasn't even thinking about that because <laughs> this guy actually brought a different dimension just the way he delivered it and the look in his eyes and mm-hmm. just like i'm i'm going to heaven now i'm going to vampire heaven <laughs> just, i don't know it was, it was really nice it was a nice breather in this insane chop sake vampire he, movie yeah <laughs> he, he was great i we don't have i don't have the actor's name in front of me but he was he was very good yeah and Whereas Wesley Snipes is that kind of over-the-top charm, hmm. there was a presence to Nomak that that actor yeah. really demand. He he demanded presence. Like you could not watch hmm. him. He he brought such a such a strong performance yeah. to that character and to that characterization. And you're right. He he has a he has the probably the best arc in the movie. Yeah. as limited as those arcs are, and. Right up to the end, where Blade doesn't even get the final kill, he Nomak does it to himself. Mm-hmm. He's like, "It's over, mm-hmm. boom," and that's that's a cool villain. Yeah. And that actor went on to play the villain in Hellboy Two. Really? Yeah. Okay. And he's he can move like he yeah. does. He's the 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 elf in the second movie. It's Luke Goss. Is that's it? His name? Yeah. Is that him? Looking at the credits. Do, 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 do. Yep, it's Lucas. That's right, <laughs> and he's he's great. He is great. You're you're definitely right. Something that's a, a criticism to Blade as the character is written and discussing arcs is, and I guess we've kind of touched on this already, but there's not a lot interesting about Blade. He's so stoic. Very one note. Yeah, yeah. I I would like to. That's another reason to explore him in a Netflix series mm-hmm. is to give him some more conflict give him some more struggling with his relationships his like the little hints we had at what he has to suffer with is when he would have to drink blood Mm -hmm. 
and that's something he's almost embarrassed about. Like when Nissa walks in on him taking his serum for the day, yeah. he kind of like shifts and hides it from her. Explore that more. Blade Blade yeah. can be a much more interesting character than the I don't know, almost Clint Eastwood esque. You know, I have I'm I exist as this force of nature, and there's an absolute. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, and especially because of this film, if we had a more, if the villain, if Nomak had more of an arc, more to do than just show up when and go bump in the night mm-hmm. when when have you. Um, Blade would be okay to exist as an absolute because you have a counter, a contrast in Nomak. But they're both kind of just so broody, so one note yeah. that it was very repetitive. And that's mm-hmm. why I think the length of the film felt longer than it actually is because they were doing the same things. Like the two set pieces with the blood pack mm-hmm. were essentially the same thing. Just you know? one was in a club, the other yeah. one was in the sewers. <laughs> well, not There's not enough to differentiate other than the location. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. If there were more a sense of dread, if they're more at stake, you know, something for us to grip on so that we can actually worry about these characters. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they once they get off, it's just like, who was that again? <laughs> <laughs> Do, so, you started this this review by saying how much you enjoy this movie. Um, how does it how does it hold up? How mm-hmm. how do you feel about it now? Do you still recommend this movie? Is this still a you know, Questions, Ben. Questions. Yes, I, I actually. Uh, funny enough, like I, I know I've been like griping and nitpicking a lot, but like that's mostly because of story and character and mm-hmm. something I've grown to be more inclined to see when I'm watching a movie. Mm-hmm. But like just watching it as a pure fun action film with a comic book element to it, I still yeah. recommend it a lot. It's um, it's one of my favorite Del Toro films. Definitely my favorite Blade film. Um, I don't know, just seeing that opening scene. Every single time, over and over again. I, it's, I don't know. It's just so inventive. That's mm-hmm. that's why I really respect Del Toro as a filmmaker because he can be hit or miss, but he has an eye for art direction like no other. And you know, we yeah. we make the same judgment with Zack Snyder, but the thing is, like, I feel Del Toro has so much more heart in it. You know, mm-hmm. because. I actually got a chance to visit his exhibit at LACMA this uh, previous week. So the the Guillermo del Toro yeah. museum exhibit, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. It's all his props and notes and like works from all his films. And I was incredibly inspired, TZ. I like, did not realize how much thought he put into every little thing that he did. And it's, <sighs> it's almost like he pours his soul into everything, even if it's something silly as Blade Two Pacific <laughs> Rim. Um I was reading a great, great quote from him that he wrote, handwritten in, in one of his notebooks. It's like, mm-hmm. I, it said, I have a wound that will not heal. Um, I have an idea, or I have a fire that will not be, you know, relinquished, and I won't. Have, ah, damn it. <laughs> I gotta look up the quote, but it's just, it's so like. He, it, he does put a lot of detail into the design of things. If you look at something like Blade Two, Pan's Labyrinth, or Labyrinth de Fon. <laughs> Labyrintho del Fondo. (laughs) (laughs) And Pacific Rim and Crimson Peak and some of his produced films. He spends a lot of time on the design. Like It's not just farming it out, give me some options, I like that one, Mm. tweak this. No, he he sets the groundwork for the art team to build upon. Yes. And, And... and giving having more trust thrust upon him, not thrust given to him, in between his films. So if you look at the first Hellboy, 
there's a there's a really neat style in Hellboy, and I actually rewatched Hellboy recently too, just maybe like a month ago. I liked it more than I remembered I did. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It, 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 you must have rewatched it soon, or okay, you said you watched it. I watched half of it last night. I was yeah. like, I I kept wanting to watch it, but it was like mm-hmm. I was getting too tired yeah. to finish. But I was like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm so engrossed in this world because it's it's so much of this world where he didn't like. It's so cool. Okay, it, it's really cool the way that Guillermo del Toro world builds. Mm-hmm. And he does it without exposition. Yeah. Like, I know everything about this world already without him having to say a word. And and it's even more so in, in Hellboy 2, Golden yeah. Army, mm-hmm. where he, I think New Line must have trusted him more because that, that Hellboy 2 <laughs> is just next level <laughs> in terms of di- art direction and design. Insanity. Because <laughs> the, the, the first Hellboy... Is pretty tame. Yeah, there's some amazing design work. Abe Sapien's costume, the the SS agent who's the robot, mm. like that's really cool. Um, the uh, the main villain um, in that one in First Hellboy has a neat this you know he just has his beard. And he, he, bald but, guy, the bald guy. <laughs> he brought the Mike Mignola's artwork to life so well. In Hellboy Two, he just went to town on design <laughs> like right down like they go to troll alley and yeah. they meet the witches and they all the devices and all the characters are just so much more amped up mm. in their uniqueness that 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 second movie really stands out in yes. its design it's too and bad that it fell on the wayside because that was the summer that iron man and dark knight came out wow i yeah. didn't even realize that it would it would get ignored surrounded by those two movies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but blade 2 i feel you see those hints of his design work, mm-hmm. it's particularly in Nomak, but not enough in everything else. It's definitely he was restrained. Yes, I would I would love to see what Del Toro could do with Blade now. Woo. If if Marvel doesn't want to reclaim the rights and and do a Netflix series or try to bring Blade into the MCU proper, mm-hmm. uh, I would be very interested to see what Del Toro could do now. Although Del Toro has like. 50 things he wants to do so that'll never happen he loves eping things <laughs> i found the quote sir and so you can cut out my nonsensical babble oh I, I i won't that is that is staying in damn it <laughs> so okay this is an excerpt from his journal and it says i have a wound that will not heal i have an idea that will not be silent i have a heart that will not be still and it is so uh representative of the way he works because mm-hmm. he pours not only just like his work ethic into his pieces but personally too like a piece of a soul you know yeah a lot of his themes are about repression from his catholic upbringing or being bullied in catholic school (laughs) and it's it's so thoughtful and that's why i say even though we make the same critiques of style over substance with Zack snyder you don't get enough of that thoughtfulness or enough of that heart in there's there's substance in the style yeah in a lot of what del toro does yeah that's uh, what I really come to appreciate, especially going on this Del Toro kick now. He's mm-hmm. like, man, he's done so much more good work than bad work, I feel like. It's not a matter of the practicality mm-hmm. of his art design and, and direction, but that does help. Yes. You could go to an exhibit of Del Toro's work, mm-hmm. which you did, and see the props and the sketchbooks. And just you can you can feel... Not really, because you probably couldn't touch them in the museum. But you can—they're tangible. They they're tried t- stopping me. His 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 Del Toro's look and feel is tangible. Yes, right? you couldn't do that with Zack Snyder. You mm. couldn't do that with Michael Bay. 
trying to go can you imagine an exhibit of their work <laughs> it's just a dumpster fire <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of it would be a lot of screens yeah. and photos mm-hmm. and that's not tangible that's a good point and and you know it's not to say that everything snyder does is bad it's not to say that everything michael bay does is bad i'm not saying that yeah. because both of those directors have a lot of good mm. in what they do. They're I think still my, getting work. Yeah, yeah. clearly. <laughs> but there is something, like Michael Bay in particular, I've grown to appreciate over the years. I might not particularly like his movies, mm. but I, I like his commitment to his style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snyder, I, I don't, I just, it's easy to criticize him because of what he's done to characters we love. <laughs> but even even going back to, 300 yes. and Watchmen. Before he ever got Batman Superman, I, I still was in a position of, I like what this guy's doing, but there's something missing. It's very superficial. A restraint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not going to spend time critis- criticizing uh, Snyder much more. It's really all about giving Del Toro more credit yes. to to that sub- bringing substance to his style. And that's what makes his movies so unique. Mm. And, and his more restrained films, which obviously was... A, well, maybe not obviously, but it must have something to do with the position he was in when he made Blade or yeah. the first Hellboy and, and the restraint he had to, had to have. He didn't have quite have the pool or the star power just yeah. yet to make the insane decisions that he did for Crimson Peak mm-hmm. and Pacific Rim. <laughs> but then it's, then it's even more – I have to give him more credit for what he was able to insert into, like the Nomac Reaper designs. Mm-hmm. That's that's excellent. Yes, and that's that's a director who brings a lot to the table. Yeah, that's what I think. That's also again not to just keep like, fanboying about Blade Two, but like <laughs> uh, we're reviewing fa- uh, Blade Two, so it really would be helpful if you continue. To talk. <laughs> if you want to keep talking about Blade Two, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's the thing that really stands out for this this movie for me. It's because it is visually memorable, mm-hmm. like Blade One was not visually memorable if if i don't know correct me if i'm wrong but like there's just too much like post matrix stuff yes visually in blade one where you have the after effects of that in blade two mm-hmm. but definitely there was hints of like okay i see what this del toro character is all about i'm very interested in him exploring a different movie or a different property with this style because it's like you said it's so tangible and it comes from like an honest source mm-hmm. just like reading through his notebooks looking at who inspires him? H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. And like, definitely. <laughs> and anime and kaiju uh, movies and stuff like that. Um, just seeing all these little props, all these things that he kept since his childhood, like these nickel comic books and um, like old luchador superhero movies and stuff like that, <laughs> black and white stuff that are on 8mm. Wow. I don't know, man. As a filmmaker, TC, I feel like you got to see it. You got to <laughs> see it just to. Just because, like, I've I was in the camp where I was like, I'm kind of on the fence about Del Toro because he's done some cool stuff. It's cool looking. Mm-hmm. That's about it. But then seeing, kind of the method to the madness, I was like, okay, you got a fan. You got a fan. <laughs> the Blade Two is a significant improvement from Blade One in a lot of respects. I, as much as the origin story typically is the better story in, with comic book characters, yeah. Spider Man being a good example of that, Batman, um, Superman. We don't need to see Superman's origin again. We don't need to see Spider-Man's origin again. Are you it's, sure? I forgot. I, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> it's the second movie can really improve upon a character or kind of just spin its wheels like Iron Man 2 mm-hmm. didn't do much new. Yes. And with Del Toro on this, with 
Snipes' commitment to the character, Blade 2 is better than Blade 1. Mm-hmm. It's faster. It's a little more fun. I, I think you may like it more than me. I'm, I, do, I do feel like... You own it, TC. I do own it on DVD. <laughs> I, I like the movie, but at the same time, I'm, it's not my favorite. I I'm, I've, think I've been a little more criticizing of it uh, over, over the course of this review right now. But just when we exist in a world with Luke Cage and Daredevil and Winter Soldier... Mm-hmm. And a lot of what the MCU has given us, uh, going outside the MCU and looking at um, what we've been getting with Batman and whatnot, there's there's better now. But because of the but if you look at the history of comic book movies, this is definitely a benchmark mm-hmm. in in pushing stuff the right way. Unfortunately, I do feel the effects of that post Matrix action movie. Yeah, and 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 those moments jump out at me. <laughs> The the gearing up with the guns and the bullets and going to the club with black yeah, leather yeah. and stuff it, like that. It definitely Techno. suffers from that. Crystal method. <laughs> <laughs> Calling all freaks. We danced. Both of us danced. We did. You could not see it. Clothing option. <laughs> oh, <God>. oh, no. <laughs> I, I will. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to criticizing Goyer because. No, keep, keep doing it. He's, well, he's terrible. If you follow Goyer's career as a screenwriter in major films from Blade to Blade 2 to Blade 3 to Batman Begins to Dark Knight to. I don't think he accepts credit for Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. He shouldn't uh, even take credit for Dark Knight Because <laughs> I think it was. It's the official credit is story by mm-hmm. and then written by Jonathan and Christopher. Well, then yeah. amp that up to what we just saw with Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. And it's. His style, speaking of style, right? Yeah. Goyer's style as a screenwriter is getting more aggressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's becoming more. <laughs> to put it nicely. His, and I don't mean that in his characters are killing more. I mean that it's. He's kind of just retreading the same ground and hammering his, his style and points harder and harder each yeah. time. Why, why does a. Batman v Superman movie feel more violent than Blade Two, <laughs> and right. and I, I and you know what? I'm not going to pin that all on Goyer because it's direction and it's performance mm. because Blade brings Wesley Snipes in his limited capacity of the the stoic hero brings a little bit of fun to the yeah. character. He is smirking to the to the bad guys and giving some one liners, and that's that's something on him uh del toro brought some elements of tongue-in-cheek camaraderie between the characters in this snyder did not and goyer's script did not offer itself to that and the performances didn't give itself to that the the most tongue-in-cheek you get in batman v superman is alfred and bruce Mm -hmm. just talking to each other in the Batcave. cave like uh uh, alfred has all the the comedy (laughs) in (laughs) in uh bbs and I don't know. I'm. It, did Goyer is Goyer doing Justice League? He, I think so. Well, I mean Zach's back, so <laughs> I don't. There's just something about this guy that's just so superficial, and yeah, it. He needs that second person. Actually, yeah. he really does need that second screenwriter with him to take his good ideas and give them more substance. Mm. So, but 
In terms of comic book movies, in terms of this as a film, I don't recommend Blade Two if you're just a, a film watcher. If you like, if you like film, if you if you're into, you know, wanting to see stuff that's of a higher caliber, don't 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 bother. Don't bother. <laughs> in fact, in Del Toro's library, though you Ben, you're citing this as one of your favorites. I think you got to go Pan. I think that's yeah. Del Toro's. Pan, Cronus, Devil's Backbone. Yeah, the, um, his Spanish films, his Spanish language films are truly his best films. Yes. And I don't know why. I don't necessarily know if that's because it's an American-made film for an American studio that he's given some – he has to have some restraints or what. But I, I would say Pan's over anything. If you want to see Del Toro doing his thing, style, substance, direction, yeah. characterization – scripts there's so much strong in that movie and we did a rewatchment of it a couple years ago so you could actually travel back in time and listen to that if you want back in time uh in but in terms of comic book films i say yeah i say throw this in if you're if you're waiting you're in between netflix series right now because luke cage is over you're waiting for iron fist i think this will give you kind of a a little a simple fix Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the depth of the netflix series but there's there's some good there's some really cool action sequences and some there's some fun to be had in this movie particularly with Ron Perlman and Nomak as the villain yeah that yeah I say if you're if you're a fan of the comic book universe that's being offered to us right now I definitely put this over Batman versus Superman and Man yeah. of Steel because there's still elements of fun in it and uh, yeah so that's that's my recommendations uh, Ben. What was your recommendation? <laughs> I'm saying watch Pan if you want to see okay. Del Toro at his finest. Okay. And if you like all the Netflix series, watch Blade. Okay, for sure. Um, I do have one recommendation for a Del Toro film and one for if, uh, just vampire movies in general. Mm-hmm. Del Toro. Um, um, oh, God damn it. I Come forgot. on, Ben. I forgot. So we'll, we'll skip to we'll, once I remember it. Um, <laughs> for vampire movies... I think a more low-key, thoughtful vampire film to kind of help digest what insane PlayStation 2 stuff that was going on in here <laughs> um, is his interview with a vampire. Oh, Starring cool. Tom Cruise Tom and Bradley Pitt and a young Kirsten Dunst. Brad Pitt, Christian Slater, Christian, yeah, Antonio <laughs> Banderas. <laughs> An all-star caliber cast. 1994's Interview with a Vampire. Oh. With a Vampire. It's, a, right. oh, it's a very cool deconstruction of what it is to be a vampire, especially living in the modern context, too. Mm-hmm. Don't watch Queen of the Damned. <laughs> My God. Did we... I think I did Queen of the Damned with Steven. Yeah, you and Steve. Oh. Oh. Oy. Oy, if you buddy. want a good listen, go back to our rewatching of Queen of the Damned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are mine, sir. Cool, cool. All right, well, I think that's about it for this section. Uh, let's take. A, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back with some current events and hit some tweets up. I have at least two... I have, I have, I'll try to find the ones from last week as well. But uh, we're interested to hear what your comments are. Are you a fan of the Blade series? Do you? And Blade Two is currently streaming on Netflix, so you can watch it there without having to uh, go to any nefarious means of acquiring it or borrow <laughs> or borrowing my DVD. So yeah, if uh, if you're listening and you have any thoughts and feelings about the Blade trilogy, particularly Blade Two or Del Toro as a filmmaker. Hit us up in the comments below or tweet at TC's Big Head or at Benji Toes. So let's take a quick break here, Ben, and we'll be right back. Riggy right.
right, and we're back. And welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> so, yeah, Blade. Uh, so, we're done with that now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to toss this DVD in the garbage for you, sir? No. <laughs> no. It's a relic. It is. I should get rid of my DVDs. I have that whole shelf of DVDs, and it's... I saw a meme this morning, and it was... Oh, my favorite movie was taken off Netflix, and now I can't watch it. And then the next picture underneath is a guy in front of his DVD collection and is saying, I've never had that problem. <laughs> and and I feel like that's that's silly. Congre- yes, it's amazing that you have hundreds and hundreds of DVDs and Blu-rays. That's, that is amazing. Congratulations, but, guys. But also, if your favorite movie is taken off streaming... I think you're going to be okay. There are thousands of movies streaming and TV shows and go on YouTube and anyone who's like moping because something got taken off of streaming, you cannot be so attached to one thing that you can't watch something else, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's so weird because like I think you and I, I mean, personally speaking, I can only watch my favorite movie like once a year tops, even like I'll I'll do a biannually, mm-hmm. but like... I know folks like my brother who can't work without, you know, something on in the background. So yeah. he'll watch literally School of Rock twenty times <laughs> a year. I'm like, how how can you watch this one time? This is such a random movie to be watching on and on again. But I don't know. It's, to each his own, I suppose. I was thinking the same thing. I There are some movies that I will toss on to. Like, I, I'll get in a feel like, oh, man, I want to watch Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like, oh, that's, I want to watch that. Or when... Uh, Mission Possible 5 came out on Blu-ray. I watched it like a couple times in a few weeks just because it was a fun action movie to write to while I was... But I like Back to the Future, I maybe once a year. Mm. And even now I'm watching Netflix in pieces. <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> sitting down and watching it anymore. <laughs> Seen it. Uh, but anyhow, in this next section here, we were, we're just going to do some catch-up on some news stories and hit up some tweets from you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have a theme tweet like last time with uh, your favorite film and fictional or your favorite fictional presence. So. Oh, damn, I forgot to ask what people's favorite scary movies are. I'll, maybe I'll ask that for the next you one. You can ask for the next one. Um, but yeah, so any any current events, any news stories you want to talk about? You said there was one. Actually, let me knock out mine. Okay. Because I, I feel like yours is going to be a lengthy one. I got two doozies. Okay, <laughs> let, let me knock mine out. So yeah. first off, Walking Dead has been renewed for season eight. Woo! Season seven is about to begin what, like next week, two weeks from now? Yeah, one more week. Yeah, and uh, it's been renewed for season eight, which is, uh, it's not unheard of. I mean, Supernatural's in its 12th season. Which is outrageous. <laughs> Where is it going? It's keeping We've... Jared Pel- Pelinecki employed. That's that's but, the real, that's the true cause And here. Jensen Ackles. And Jensen Ackles. But we're, talking, we're talking Walking Dead. <laughs> Supernatural's uh, ratings are actually holding steady. Like, there's no slip in their ratings. I, I am shocked, because this is the conversation we have literally every time. It's like, I can't believe it's on, and you're saying the ratings are still good. <laughs> I'm just wondering, who's watching this? <laughs> uh, w- soon we will, because <laughs> apparently we have to. I've literally never seen one episode of Supernatural. I've I've given two episodes, the first two episodes of trying it never, it yeah. didn't hook me. And plus, besides, there was other stuff I was watching. It's been but, on since I was in middle school, I think. That, is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Simpsons has been on since I was in kindergarten. So what do you think of that? But but Walking Dead getting renewed for season eight, and I've, we've complained about this before. What's the end game? Mm-hmm. If you don't have a destination in mind, it's just going to be the same thing over and over again. And 
I should really miss Frank Darabont, TC. Oh my gosh, there is. Did we talk about the? What was it? Your movie sucks as a YouTube show, and this guy did a breakdown of the first two seasons of Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and he did. It's essential. It's a documentary about what happened with Frank Darabont and how he got kicked out. Yeah, I, I remember telling you this: the zombie in the tank mm-hmm. was a character. Really, what, was an actor that had been in uh, the Fog and another another um, Frank Darabont movie. Mm-hmm. That 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 dead body in the tank was had a story and a history behind him that they were going to explore in season uh, two and when darabont left it's all these like weird loose threads that darabont wanted to explore that amc did not because they slashed their budget because mm-hmm. the first season was shot entirely on film which yeah. is <laughs> incredible <laughs> not video not digital film 35 millimeter son and you know that's expensive just hearing stories like that tidbits like that of behind the scenes and what happened and what could have been it just makes me so sad because i feel like ever since nicotero took over i mean the effects look amazing Mm -hmm. and you know it's become like a cool week to week monster of the week creature feature type of thing but every all the characters lost their essence of who they are like rick like crazy rick yeah we we did a whole conversation uh, we did a whole cast about it where it's like he's the bad guy now which is but they won't admit it right (laughs) but it's amc's mo to explore walter white and Mm. and don draper yeah and these kind of anti-heroes these deconstructed heroes i just want to i was saying before we started recording i still like walking dead because there are still moments in each show that are genuinely neat and good cinematic moments but then when they kind of retread the same ground or they they take missteps in how they handle characters mm-hmm. it, and are shocking just to be shocking then i then i'm mad at the show <laughs> <laughs> are you are you looking forward to negan i'm not looking forward to negan mm-hmm. because he's well he won't be governor 2.0 because the show handled the governor so much differently than the comics handled it so maybe he'll just be the governor as he was originally imagined <laughs> in the comics the eye patch. but he's I'm not. I'm not even a big fan of what's his name, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. <laughs> <laughs> People love Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and I don't know why. I haven't really. I mean, I guess he was an okay comedian. Comedian. He was in The Losers. He was. He <laughs> I was, forgot about that movie. He was a ghost janitor in Grey's Anatomy. Yes, he was uh, Danny Ducard. <laughs> I. Um, there. I mean, I can't speak on Jeffrey D. Morgan as an actor because I haven't seen enough of his work. Mm-hmm. But the way that they're going with his character, he's just so schmarmy just to be schmarmy. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be any... I mean, this is me just judging from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. But what was cool about The Governor was they did a three-episode arc with his backstory. Like, it was a redemption backstory. Mm-hmm. So you kind of like... When he goes up against Rick at that final head-to-head, it was like, oh, my gosh, I don't really want... <laughs> I kind of understand <laughs> what's happening, but he's yeah. still a monster. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's that's the cool... Like, what we were talking about Nomad earlier in our mm-hmm. Blade cast is, like, you want something to grip onto to a villain mm-hmm. that makes him interesting, whether it's tragic or ironic. And I feel like that's what made the governor compelling, at least the TV incarnation governor. Mm-hmm. And Negan, I don't know if there's any hints of that just yet. In the comics, in the comics, they are 
they have never achieved the greatness of the governor. Mm-hmm. Even though the governor is completely different in the comics, yeah. they've ne- uh, Kirkman has never been able to come up with a new villain mm-hmm. that is equal to that original first yeah. villain they faced off against. And I, I would like to think that that is probably because when he set out to write the series, he knew up to that point. He had it in his head. He knew that destination of getting to that that character and exploring that character and telling that story and ending it with issue 50 before they essentially rebooted the series to explore a new world with these characters and the show kind of feels the same way the it was a little more wandering especially with the farm years (laughs) the farm season (laughs) but they the peak of of the quality of the show is in those governors those two seasons of the governor and um, I don't know. Um, hey, Candace, do you still like the show? Which one? Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, next news story. Kobe Smulders, Smulders has been confirmed for Avengers 3, Infinity oh. War. Okay. And That's <laughs> Maria Hill, right? Maria Hill, yes. Okay. The Russo brothers earlier this year had said something that there are approximately 40 plus characters in infinity oh war now sure i'm oh, sorry not to interrupt oh that's fine. just quickly i heard one of them will not be spider-man spider-man won't be in infinity war that's what i heard that's what i read really uh, i forgot what my source is maybe i just made it up <laughs> <laughs> that would be okay mm-hmm. because there's 40 other characters <laughs> <laughs> do you think street level characters will be showing up yes mm-hmm. i th- i have a my tc damas guess tc damas is that at some point there will be an all-out attack just on Earth, in space, just a, and we will get glimpses of fights all across the globe. Mm. And so we'll get a cutaway to Luke, Daredevil, Jessica, and Iron Fist just fighting some things, and then that's it. I don't expect they will get lines of dialogue. I don't expect them to have some sort of subplot. I think we'll just get glimpses of all the heroes mm. because there's no way a single movie, even at three hours, could explore that many characters. Yeah. It's going to be the key members of the Avengers. Steve isn't going to be Captain America, mm. he, or at least he won't have the shield. Nomad! <laughs> <laughs> and the movie will still focus on those main characters and we'll get glimpses of the 25, 30 plus other characters. <laughs> 50 arcs, DC. <laughs> But, you know, if anyone could pull it off at this point in time, the Russos are definitely – they have good credit right now. Yes, they do. Um, but I do like to see Maria Hill coming coming around. I, I like I like Colby Smulders. Robin Shabatsky. <laughs> <laughs> I like Maria Hill as a character, um, as a link to she's, – she's one of the few links between being on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and in the films. Mm-hmm. And Cap- she was in Avengers, Captain America – I was like she a regular on that on Agents of Shield? Or? No, she just popped up a couple times. Okay, yeah, but it was it was cool seeing her up here on there. Um, so yeah, uh, Avengers three is two years. Yes, two thousand eighteen. Yes, yeah, because Man, it's still so far away. Yeah, <laughs> oh that's okay. We got we got Black Panther, Thor three, Spider Man, Doctor Strange. Is there another one in there? Uh, hmm. I think that's I think it. That's it. Yeah. But, hey, that's at least four movies to keep us occupied. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> All right. So those are my two news stories. All right. Can knock those out. So let's – you got two doozies apparently. Uh, the first one being 
So we all know uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is oh god <laughs> <laughs> is a, an environmentalist, an environmental activist, very uh, caring of these issues that affect our planet. Yes, yes, yes. So much so that he's going to produce a live action adaptation of Captain Planet. Captain Planet, he's a hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. Green mullet. Green mullet. Please. And Don Cheadle as Captain Planet. <laughs> is this real? It felt like fake news, but it's in October, so it... <laughs> is this you, real? You know, I, I feel like there's an inner fanboy in Leo that he doesn't show to the public, but mm-hmm. he has been attached to produce stuff like Akira. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he produced Speed Racer. Someone fact-check me on that, but... Um, yeah, he's into these nerdy things, but it just, I guess we just don't know that part I, of him. Can, I would have loved to see him... As say the Riddler in a no in a Nolan movie. <laughs> yeah, as we all do, fan <laughs> casting. Did, were you? Did you grow up with Captain Planet? Yes. Yeah, I can. I can remember watching. I used to play it in my basement with my brother. Or Fire Wind Water. <laughs> so, but it's such a, it's such a heavy, heavy. Learn the lesson of the day. Go green. Yeah. Uh, save the planets. All that, which is which is fine. It's good. It's a good message. But as much as GI Joe is a commercial for toys, Captain mm-hmm. Planet was just a commercial for uh, environmental awareness. Yeah. So finding a way to turn that into a feature film that has that is more than just that, mm. that's going to be a challenge. <laughs> I will we, just just at, just with this information that they want to do it. All I'm imagining right now is the Power Rangers movie. Oh, yeah. Did you see the trailer? I did see the trailer, yeah. Well, uh, Chronicle meets um, Fan Forstick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who wrote the first draft of It was Power Max Landis, right? It was Max Landis. <laughs> Such a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I think he came out saying, like, oh, it looks like they, they went with my idea. <laughs> you mean Chronicle? <laughs> But you tell me a Captain Planet movie's coming, all I'm imagining right now is that Power Rangers movie. Yeah. Of like it's it's dark and gritty. Making it a little making what their idea of grounded is over yeah. quotes. <laughs> <laughs> how about you? Where where you feel where, how do you feel about this? I mean, I did grow up watching a few episodes of Captain Planet, but I was never a like a feverish fan. Mm-hmm. I never I never caught I never caught the Captain Planet fever. Um, I, I know all the I know the theme song by heart. <laughs> and all the powers. And all the powers and all the lands. I can't tell you. I think Wheeler was the dude with the fire ring, hmm. and Monty was the heart kid. <laughs> I have it, no idea what you're talking it, about. You know what? Okay, if they're gonna if they're gonna do this, Monty as heart needs to be the most powerful character. Hmm. He can communicate with animals for crying out loud. <laughs> he can telepathically communicate with the whole team. Yeah. How is he not the most powerful character on the team? <laughs> and another thing, are they gonna cast this with? 20-somethings to look like they're in high school? Oh, or are yeah. they going to actually have kids? <laughs> and if they're actually going to have kids, are they going to be able to act? Bring like, back James like, Vanderbeek. Like, where, where, do we go? <laughs> where do we go with this? Uh, yeah, he was in the Power Rangers fan film. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> do they have adult versions of these? Is it like... I'm, I, where, there's so many possibilities, and obviously you don't know. I'm just asking the asking the world. They should just be grizzled and like down on their like chopping wood in the woods. Just like I'm, I'm done. I'm retired. There is an episode <laughs> that I can recall where fire we, I, goes to an alternate dimension where the the team never formed. Mm-hmm. They all have their rings and they're using them around the world. 
and and he has to like bring them all together to to create Captain Planet because that never happened. Yeah. It's an alternate dimension. Actually, I'm remembering more of this episode now. It's like super warm out, and he everyone's in jackets, and he's like, "Why are you all wearing jackets? It's super hot." <laughs> and uh, the blonde is like, "Put your jacket on. Do you not know what the greenhouse effect is? There's no ozone layer. <laughs> oh, but it's so hot out. No, it's global. It's global. Oh, it's global warming indeed. And she, it's like the radiation will kill you. Put your jacket on because we polluted the planet so much that we depleted the ozone layer. Breaks the fourth wall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't foresee a scenario where this is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean." Like you said, it's one thing to reboot G.I. Joe, and mm-hmm. I, there's a built-in – there's not only a built-in fan base, but there's something in, more interesting you could do with those characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a fan base for Captain Planet. It's just like you and I are talking right now. It's like, oh, I remember that show. Yeah. And then move on with the rest of our lives. <laughs> just look up the Don Cheadle Captain Planet. Yeah. That's the best iteration of Captain Planet we were going to get. <laughs> <laughs> well, TBD. I mean – well. We always preach this on the rooftops, but it's just like, you know, kids kind of need something. Kids need original stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. I now that I just kind of think about my childhood, I'm really lucky to have all these, like, this golden era of, like, animation and, mm-hmm. like, superhero animation, too, during, you know, the era of Batman the Animated Series, Spider-Man and X-Men and whatnot. Um I mean, not to say they don't have it today, because obviously I'm not in tune with children's programming today. But <laughs> it's just there's just too many of these like going back to the well, but like a mediocre well. You know, it's not even the A well or the B well. It's like the Z well. It's, it's, it's the well they got Ghostbusters out of. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, well, you know what? The, this could be good yeah. if it's animated. I don't know why, but I feel okay. like if it was done like Voltron Defenders of the Universe the yeah. Netflix series which I heard was pretty good I hear it's incredible yeah yeah. Uh, and season 2 just hit hit Netflix Steven Yeun <laughs> I I could foresee this being better if it was animated mm-hmm. I don't know why but there it is <laughs> I just don't see it I can't imagine taking it seriously if it was live action yeah I, I think that's what it is I think that's kind of the thing that bothered me about the Power Rangers trailer is like look we really want you to really take this seriously. <laughs> this, I mean, your your villain is named Rita Repulsa, <laughs> <laughs> played by Elizabeth Banks. Played by Elizabeth Banks. So I don't know. I mean, some some of it looks cool, mm. but we've seen it done over and over again and done better. <laughs> well, chronicle it is. All right, you had a second news story. Apparently, is this a bigger one? It, no, I actually tagged you on that last night, so I think you know what it is. Um, and I, I remember you discussing uh, your. Your gripes about the fairy tale and stuff like that, and wanting to do a deconstructive video essay. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe this will push you over the wall. It DC. will. It may just have to. Go ahead. They are. They have brought on the writer of the Austin Power movies to develop Shrek Five. Shrek Five, everyone. Shrek Good night, five. everybody. <laughs> who's asking for this? Not me. You know who's asking for this? DreamWorks is asking for another hit because they've. Aside, beside the fact that they won the Oscar for Best Animated Film with How to Train Your Dragon 2, DreamWorks Animation has been diminishing its returns mm. significantly for years. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I thought they canceled the animation department. Mm. I don't. I guess I'm wrong. Which if is they're, so shocking. If they're developing a... Yeah. It's, <laughs> I always thought they were kind of like number two banana. Toe-to-toe to Disney. Yeah. No. Nope. Uh, once upon a time, no pun intended, <laughs> Shrek won the first animated film oscar really yeah not 
Not Toy Story, not Monsters Inc. Monsters Inc. was going up against Shrek, yeah. and Shrek won the Oscar. Oh, my gosh. For the, Regrets the, much? The very first animated Oscar. Because yeah. previously, um, when Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture, the film snobs had a field day. They were pissed. How dare you nominate a cartoon for nah. Best Picture? And so they created the best animated feature category, and Shrek was the first one to win it. Wow. So, yes, well, there, there was a time when DreamWorks was toe-to-toe with Disney. Ants did better than Bugs Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe they did equally as good. Um, but And um, uh, Kung Fu Panda was a huge success for them. How to Train Your Dragon was a huge success. But little by little, those movies have been dropping off. Yeah. Uh, Kung Fu Panda 3... Did not do well. It's a terrible movie. Yeah. Uh, I think Madagascar is DreamWorks, right? Because yes. those last three and four did terribly. Mm-hmm. Who's asking? No one's asking. So Megamind, anybody? So now, uh, <laughs> Megamind, yeah, that was another one that, yeah. that didn't do well. Um, and I mean, now. I think Secret Life of the Pets was there, was a hit. Was, was that DreamWorks or was that Blue Sky? The Ice Age folks. Oh. Now I gotta look. <laughs> Never mind. I don't Actually, you know DreamWorks. what? I think. Uh, Secret Life of Pets is universal. The Minions Oh, folk. yeah, it is universal. It's universal, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. DreamWorks. <laughs> but I've never, I've never been a fan of DreamWorks. No, the, you've always referenced them as like, this is how not to do animation. Because it's so pandering. It's so... I, I just told her... I was just having a conversation with someone about this that I think the Shrek movies in particular are the animated equivalent of Freeberg and Seltzer. Because, <laughs> like, oh, did you see that reference? Yeah. Oh, did you see that reference? Oh, did you see that reference? Mm-hmm. And now they're and, – and how many times can you do that? It's funny for the time. That yeah. does not have longevity to it. It feels very dated just going back to Shrek 1 and Shrek 2. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Shrek 1 isn't the isn't, – doesn't have – uh, actually, it does. Kind of, I mean, there's the Matrix jump and kick moment that mm-hmm. Fiona has, and mm. <laughs> if if this is in fact happening, if if you're telling me this is happening, I will do my video essay on Shrek because I recently was reevaluating Shrek, and I think that the message of that movie is terrible. Mm-hmm. In that Fiona has to look like Shrek to take love's true form Mm -hmm. and love's true form is without physical form that's there you go i I guess i don't need to do the video analysis (laughs) there it is (laughs) (laughs) uh, perhaps perhaps i will deconstruct it even more than that but i don't particularly enjoy those movies for a lot of reasons and we've said on the cast uh, multiple times as we just said moments ago it's the pop cultural crutches and and that message is is not good that is a it's, su- it's supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek, like, hey, it's Beauty and the Beast, but it's Beast and the Beast, ha-ha. <laughs> but there is something subconsciously wrong with a message like that. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to do? Let's see. They did Shrek 1. Oh, Beauty and the Beast turns on its head. Shrek 2. Now he's king. Oh, that's weird. Shrek 3. Oh, we have to go look at the prince. Shrek 4. Travel through time like none of this ever happened. What do you do with the fifth one? Alternate dimensions. They already did it. Multiple Shrek. Oh, God. Alt universe Shrek <laughs> it is at some point in Shrek Five. Will he and Donkey have some sort of medieval equivalent of Iron Man and, and Captain <laughs> America? Like Donkey will have a have a shield, and and Shrek will be wearing a suit of armor. Mm-hmm. Don't give him any ideas, DC. 
ah, there's just something about Shrek that's so representative of like the worst of animation. <laughs> it's character designs are uninteresting, like you said, pop culture references galore. But even just the jokes, the comedic bits, mm-hmm. it's like literally the lowest hanging fruit of comedy. Like <laughs> Do you know how jokes. many fart jokes are in the first Shrek? Like the, fir- <laughs> like the first five minutes, there's three. Yeah. There's three poop and fart jokes. <laughs> I love those poop and fart jokes. And I've, I'm not against poop and fart jokes or vomiting jokes. I just think they need to be done in a particular way to be, to be clever. Restrained. Restrained. Yeah, instead of just being the obvious. Yeah. I've like, <laughs> That's the that's solely the punchline. <laughs> the punchline is <laughs> exactly. You're making me giggle, TC. <laughs> Gosh, and there is a maybe that'll be part of the essay as well. How many fart jokes are in? Yeah. <laughs> and you were watching that recently, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, is there? This is just me playing devil's advocate. I obviously believe, do it. I always li- be the answer. devil. My answer is no, but like devil's advocate, is there a scenario? Where you see Shrek 5 being a good movie. Where it's the redemption story. Okay. Certainly. There is there's there is a way to make a good movie about Shrek. Hmm. Okay. Will, I, will this be it? Probably not. Name one movie in a series of five movies that's better than anything that came before it. Rocky Balboa! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that returning to the well. How many times can you go back to the same thing over yeah. and over again? Uh, unless it's something that will continue to go forever, like James Bond, <laughs> I d- or Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. is there a scenario where Shrek Five can be a good film? Doing a little rewriteman. Rewriteman. The rewriteman. <laughs> <laughs> Put me on the spot here, Ben. There's gonna be some dead air as I sit here thinking. <laughs> uh, Shrek Five. Shrek Five. Shrek Five. Shrek is such an unlikable character. Like there is—is is no, it because he's an ogre? Are you a racist? I am a species. <laughs> I mean, there is no. I mean, everything that he's done heroically, quote unquote, mm-hmm. has been out of reluctance, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever a time. I mean, you can quote me if I'm wrong because I haven't seen those movies in a long time. But there isn't a time where he did it out of the pureness of his heart. Mm-hmm. It was like he just had to do it. Yeah. Because I, I just thought of. I know what they're gonna do. What happened? He has kids. Oh my god! He has kids, right? <laughs> Jaden Smith effect. It's Shrek has kids. Mm. They were babies last time we saw them. They're gonna be teenagers. Can and, we bring? And they're on... gonna be angsty. And one of them's not gonna feel. Uh, one of them's gonna feel left out. And yeah, one of them's gonna, gonna, be, gonna like... be a nerd. And one of them's gonna be cool. On his phone the entire and, time. And the the one that feels left out is gonna join the villain. <laughs> and Shrek's gonna have to go save his son from being a, a bad guy. And then they'll work together to defeat the villain. Screenwriters are listening, TC. No, nah, there you <laughs> go. I'm I I'm gonna just go ahead and guess that that's what the movie's gonna be. <sighs> Curse you. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I just foresee so many millennial references already. It's just going to be Snapchat the movie, TC. Well, it's going to be a couple of years before something before this can come out. So maybe those references will be – they will not make Snapchat references because <laughs> Snapchat will be passe by in another two years. It'll be Periscope. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know about you, but there's just something so – I don't know why how these writers aren't able. It's like they don't use it or something. Like every time Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or anything – social media related is referenced 
in a film or television show, mm-hmm. it seems so cringeworthy. <laughs> <laughs> like someone's dad writing the, Yeah, I know all about the Twitters. Yeah, just, uh, look, Samantha poked me last weekend. And it was fantastic. <laughs> oh, please, who still uses poke? <laughs> Dang it. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that still pokes on Facebook. <laughs> yep, that's, that's my guess. That's Teenage cool. angsty Shrek the Fifth. Voiced by Justin Bieber. And Jane Smith. Well, anyway, do you have any other news stories? <laughs> Those are my two. Do you have Seriously. any other, I, I do not have any other news stories. Um, what have you been watching lately? Any Anything new on your radar? Anything you've been checking out? I watch Blade 2, mm-hmm. watch Hellboy, mm-hmm. The Cage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just going to be like a half an hour of me reminding myself, uh, what did uh, I watch? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? No, I've been so caught up with Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. That was been taking most of my watching time. Oh, you know what? I've, I'm still keeping up with Atlanta. I, how how is Atlanta? Because I watched the first episode and, or first two episodes, and it didn't yeah. it didn't hook me. And and I feel like it was an incidence of overhype mm-hmm. that people were like, "This is the greatest show ever!" I oh will, my god! I will admit guilt to that. I was <laughs> it, one of those people. It, it wasn't favor. it wasn't just you. Yeah. And when I finally watched it, I. I felt a comparison to Louis, mm. and Louis did it better, in my opinion. Mm. Great soundtrack for Atlanta. But, yeah. But tell me, how how is the show going for you? How is it? I like how, it a lot, TC. I think. Sell the, it to the people here. Sell it to me. <laughs> sell it to me. At the end of the year, I think it will go in my top ten favorite things to watch this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy this version of Donald Glover, and this is a so Donald, sad, so sad, so like. Not just that, I feel complex. He's so sad. And this version of Donald Glover, we haven't been able to see other than his through his music. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm happy to see that everyone's able to see this for him. And it's it's cool because he's a rapper in real life, but in the show, he was smart enough to, to think, I'm not going to play the rapper because you know er, that's what everyone expects. Right. So he's going to play the down-and-luck manager. Mm-hmm. And so... I think his art's really interesting. I think they do really neat things that comment on not only, like, things that are happening in the black community and black culture in general, but, like, um, musically, as you alluded to, it's um, it's just a fantastic soundtrack that you don't really hear anywhere else because it's, it's trap rap. It's very southern regional-based rap. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not like this very uh, commercialized uh, mainstream type of rap or hip-hop. Well, it's becoming so, but... Right now, it's like a sub counterculture, so it's just yeah. a really cool thing to to witness. It's it's you know, it's easy for someone who doesn't give a crap about that type of music to mm. just blanket it all in as one thing. But what I appreciate about the music, and Luke Cage did this too with its soundtrack. Yeah, it's it's hip hop and rap that has something to say. Mm. It's not just bitches and hoes. Booty, 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 booty. Right, and surely there's a place for for dance for club rap, mm. which is just you know. Throw your hands in the air. Slap that ass. <laughs> twerk, 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 twerk. Like that. Sure. Fine. That's, that is getting, getting drunk at the club and dancing with dancing. Like yeah. that's, that's what that rap's for. It's not meant to have any sort of deeper meaning behind it, but the, the lyricism of the hip hop in Atlanta and the soundtrack of Luke Cage speaks to a greater culture yes. behind that music. Yeah, and, like, what I really appreciate with Luke Cage and Atlanta is, like, not only is it, like, we mentioned on the cast many times, like, they're really unapologetically unapologetically black in the portrayal of its black characters, Mm -hmm. because on any other show, when you see a black character, it's either 
it's two extremes. He's either got to be really accomplished or really um, ghettoized, mm-hmm. to put it in. I don't like that word. It's really racial. Urbanized. Urbanized. Oh, I don't like that word either. <laughs> <laughs> because that's just but, a... But the people know what I mean. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, there's no complexity in between. These are actually real people mm-hmm. just existing. And I I think that's what I kind of appreciate about it. Um, I, I think if you, if you want to go revisit it, it, it gets better. Okay. Um, there's this... I hate clip episodes mm-hmm. in, in like shows um but they do a clip show episode that's kind of freaking genius um and there's like an animated sequence too for a serial, oh. quote-unquote serial commercial it's oh. super trippy but it's like okay. about police brutality i was like this is genius <laughs> and this is yeah i mean it just sums up with atlanta it takes a lot of risk and i think on on a platform like fx you're able to do so so mm-hmm. I, I just really appreciate that and like another show that i'm watching which is through a black female voice is insecure yes i i've seen the previews for insecure on pretty much all the youtube shows i was watching last month she was advertising on everything yeah um and i was i was more interested in that than atlanta yes to see it not not only if it's just a, a woman's perspective and kind of that relatable relatable failure yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's, we we are all failures. <laughs> so interesting because like all three of these shows, Luke Cage, Atlanta, Insecure, kind of talk about this issue that obviously I don't think about because I'm not black. But mm-hmm. like, are you black enough? And that's something that they do in a very comedic yet kind of tragic uh, sort of sensibility. Insecure, yeah. And I don't know. You gotta watch it. It will make you feel. There's some cringe-worthy moments, but it's like so good. It's a good cringe. You know, yeah, it's just so real. Um, I definitely recommend Insecure if anyone's looking for another HBO show. That's another HBO show. Well, it, speaking of cringe humor, uh, kind of there's a great YouTube channel called Nerdwriter. Nerd I don't know if you've seen Nerdwriter at all. This guy, he puts out a new video every Wednesday, and he he uses film and television and and to to and a pop cultural observation to kind of analyze humanity. Mm. And so he he has a video about cringe humor where he talks about, like, the British office and why cringe humor, when, like, when it works and why it's so effective. Yeah. And that's what uh, Insecure seemed like it was going to be. Yeah, that's sort of like, oh, God, that's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Louis. Louis is incredible for cringe humor yeah. in that it's like, oh, Louis, oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Atlanta and Insecure definitely build from the Louis uh, – style because mm-hmm. not only is it cringe but it's also like depressing it's it's too real <laughs> it's it, too relatable yeah, yeah. And, and fx is genius for that mm-hmm. i was i don't know when it dawned on me but all the fx comedies are mean and and dark <laughs> yeah like there's this one company that's someone's been telling me to watch but i haven't seen it yet uh, really under radar i think it's called you're the worst okay i've heard of this yes i've heard of this show it yeah. actually has like its third season coming soon they totally talk about addiction and ptsd but done in a like a dark humor i want to say what what's a good comparison like about what what comedies do you think of when you think of two extremely unlikable characters and they're and it's very dark like <laughs> Uh, like very dark. Yeah. Well, I, 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 um, David Brent from the British Office is very unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the League and and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Mm. Like those are terrible people. Yeah, they, they are very funny shows, mm. but they're the worst. Uh, Willard explores psychoses and and 
schizophrenia. Yes. On a very dark, in a dark, dark place. Louis is is very like unfortunate reality. <laughs> Uh, Marin follows the same Louis uh, Atlanta. It's it's interesting that FX has created this this place for Nilla's that... comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, so great though. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a great contrast to this multicam CBS comedy culture because mm-hmm. it makes you reevaluate and think to yourself, well, what? Do, how do I view the sitcom? Yeah, and uh, like I, I like the next guy. I enjoy How to Make Your Mother and whatnot, but. Everything else like that, it's just so like, ah, oh, give me something else, you know? There's so much more you can do with this format. Mm-hmm. But- well, the, and that's what Louis and and those type, like Atlanta, do is that, hey, you want to watch a comedy? Yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. Wink, wink. What a cool comedy. <laughs> and, and, and then leaves you questioning your reality. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So NerdWriter on YouTube, I, and as a, as a writer myself, mm-hmm. and I, I very much recommend it to you, Ben, and anyone listening who is who – is, a, a writer and an, and an explorer of pop culture. That's yes. not not just film, not just television, but even looking at commercials and the election and music videos and types of of genre, like looking at genres. He's he's a really fascinating guy, and he has a very good spirit about storytelling and and analyzing pop culture. He he's American. He lived in France for a short time, and then he came back. And was able to, you know, oh, did, how many people in French were, you know, did you have to apologize for being American? And you're like, no, I never once had to apologize for being American. <laughs> I hear they're very nice people. So I've been going through his, because I only found him in the past, like, past six months or so. Yeah. And I've been going backwards through his videos and finding them. And he's really cool. So Nerd, Nerd Writer on YouTube is my, one of my favorite shows right now. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a worthwhile show. Oh, my gosh. It's just, it's coming at me like a tsunami now. I remember now. Do we have time? Yeah, go ahead. Because I, after this, I also have, I just remembered we were talking about DVDs or something, so I have a question for you. <laughs> go. Um, <laughs> you got this. Do we have tweets too? I don't want to like, I have one. I have, I have one I'm going to ask. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've watched Netflix is Easy, uh, directed by Joe Swanberg, Younger on TV Land. <laughs> That's the teen there's a teen on there right you were uh, well there's a teenager on it it's um it's uh, about so younger to start off with younger it's a oh, it's about um a 40 year old recent divorcee mm-hmm. whose husband cheats oh it's her. a it's 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 liz mcguire right yeah it's uh, <laughs> hillary duff and Sutton foster from uh from bunheads okay um, there, there is a gilmore girls vibe to it because the dialogue's like quippy and very fast-paced mm-hmm. um it's really fun, actually. I'd never thought because this is very not my demographic. It's catered to middle-aged women. <laughs> ben, <laughs> has a, TV, ben has a secret. Obviously. Ben has a secret. secret. <laughs> pulls back mask. <laughs> Betty White. Um, I never thought I would like anything on TV land other than reruns of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> but this is if anyone's looking for a fun twenty-minute non-multi-cam sitcom. It's single cam. Yeah, this is single cam. Oh, interesting. Okay, uh, single cam. It's set in New York. It's about. It's in the world of publishing. So, like Bryce and I always talk about, why don't sitcoms do more interesting uh, professions? Because mm-hmm. like lawyer, doctor, stuff like that. It's been done over and over. Again, Architect. There's something. There's something interesting about publishing. Mm-hmm. And so um, this woman, she's a 40 year old recently divorcee, played by Sutton Foster. Um, she fakes her age. Um, 
so she can start over. So she she looks very young. Mm-hmm. Um, she just gets highlights, gets a new makeover, becomes twenty six, and uh, takes an internship at a big time publishing house. And it's very like it's very big thirteen going thirty. Those kind of uh, middle aged women crisis yeah. fantasies about being younger again. So <laughs> um, you think that premise would be kind of problematic <laughs> about how we don't uh, value our elderly and whatnot, but. Um, there's some really good... Any 40-year-old woman right now is really <laughs> mad at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not elderly. Middle age. Uh, uh, women of age. <laughs> women of a certain age. Women of a certain age. But they they actually comment on that in a very smart kind of, huh, I didn't think about that kind of way. So. Okay, sounds enlightened. Yeah. Hmm. Not okay. the show. Not the show. <laughs> <laughs> but check that out um easy easy was kind of it was pretty good it was ambitious but mm-hmm. it was hit or miss i don't know if you heard about this mm. series oh, is this on netflix yes yes okay netflix original directed by joe swanberg part of that mumblecore movement with uh, oh it's the, the individual Fox relationships Fox. every yeah. every episode is a different relationship mm-hmm. yes set in chicago and i was in chicago recently so it just made me miss it even more <laughs> like i love everything i don't know something about that city there's like this vibe that you can't really replicate anywhere else or find anywhere else and um it, it's I love movies and shows that are that are able to capture a city's energy mm-hmm. and making it into a character of its own. And Easy does that for Chicago. Um, a lot of it, like most mumblecore things, it becomes too long. There's no like, what's the point? Because they're all it's a lot of it's improv. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm really fascinated in the technique because improv done for drama instead of uh, comedy. So, yeah. Um, and there's there's a lot of actors. There's a lot of names in this. There's like Orlando Bloom's in it, Malin Ackerman. Hmm. Oh wow! Um, Mark Maron has an episode. And uh, it's just an in, so I, it's essentially a short film. Yeah, each each episode is a short film about a different type of relationship. Mm-hmm. There's one entirely in Spanish. I'm guessing the uh, title is ironic because relationships aren't easy. They're hard. <laughs> but, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> There's uh, Mark Maron actually plays an illustrator in, oh, cool. um, in one of his episodes. Interesting and, profession. Yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's something to check out All if right. you're into that stuff. And uh, yeah, Joe Swanberg. I haven't seen any of his other work. But mm-hmm. I heard it's good. Drinking. Oh. Uh, and you said a DVD as well. Oh yeah, I was just gonna ask you because you were just saying, you know, what's the point of having all these DVDs and blah blah blah. Like, mm-hmm. I think we were talking about off mic that. It was the last VHS that was produced, but I remember now. It's the last DVD that was produced. Oh, which movie? Uh, or it just happened recently? That yeah, the it just last, happened recently. The last DVD has I, been pressed? I don't know what movie, but yeah, the last DVD has been made of this year, and so no more from so now. Everything's Blu-ray from now on? Mm-hmm. Wow. Maybe, maybe just pure digital. <laughs> Ultraviolet? <laughs> Ultraviolet down- digital download? Yes. Ultraviolet. <laughs> <laughs> Is that so, what it comes? You get the you get the Blu-ray, and it also comes with the digital download. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I don't I don't remember yeah. doing any of that. But, <laughs> um, so in memoriam, in in uh, in eulogy for our dearly departed friend, the DVD. I'll never give up on Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget about HD DVD too. <laughs> um, do you have any favorite titles? Any favorite DVD buying memories or anything the, about the DVD in general that just makes you go? Oh. The first. Let's see, there there was a time where every Tuesday my buddies and I would go to Best Buy and buy a new DVD. Yeah, like every Tuesday was release day. We'd go and we would buy a stupid amount of DVDs mm-hmm. for for years. And oh man, I can I can't think what my first DVD was. I can I can tell you my favorite is the Lord of the Rings 
DVDs because of those the comment, director's commentary tracks and the behind the scenes. Actually, this lends itself to one of our tweets today. Tweety tweet. tweet which away. comes from let's say, where is it? It's Blueberry Seven. <laughs> sorry, Blueberry Zero Seven Ooh. asks, uh, "What's your favorite director commentary on a DVD Ooh. or Blu-ray?" Um, but I'll expand it. What's what's I the special feature aspect? I love. The Lord of the Rings special features. The Lord of the Rings behind the scenes making of documentary is as good as the movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, every year, every couple, every like year and a half or so, I will sit down, pop in Lord of the Rings, rewatch the trilogy with all the behind the scenes, and and I will occasionally go back and listen to the the commentary track with the cast again. It is just some of the finest special features ever. Yes. If if you are a filmmaker, I you have to watch the behind the scenes making of Lord of the Rings, and you will want to just run out of your front door right now and start making a movie. Mm. It's incredible to to watch Peter Jackson work. Speaking of Del Toro and Vision, Peter Jackson is one of those just like a journeyman filmmaker who every step of the way crafts his story, um, and also why the Hobbit movies are so painful. <laughs> <laughs> But that I, my favorite commentary track, I, I, instead of saying Lord of the Rings, I will say every se- season of South Park, uh, South Park, every episode comes with a mini commentary track from Tran Matt, and that is so, really interesting stuff to to listen to the, what they have to say about every single episode. I know it's South Park, and it's you know got a, talk, a talking piece of poop in it, but <laughs> there's the something hanky. incredible about those two as creators. And you and you get so much insight by listening to what they have to say about their process, and why they do what they do, and why they tell the stories they do, and why they work with the people they do. So th- those commentary tracks are my favorite. So there you go, Strawberry. What was it? Blueberry. <laughs> How about you, Ben? <laughs> Don't wear out the name. Um, let's see. Special features definitely have two. Um, any Jackie Chan movie, mm-hmm. the special features is baller <laughs> because you completely appreciate what the man does. Because anything that he w- he does over there in like Hong Kong cinema and stuff mm-hmm. like that, if he were to do it here, it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> like jumping off a cliff onto a hot air balloon. Um, like that was Operation of Condor or something like Operation that? Operation Condor. Operation Condor. Um, man, that, there is something lost about the physical nature of filmmaking <sighs> these days. Um, like we were just talking about Wesley Snipes. About, hey, he can perform it. Why don't we just let him do it? Um, I, obviously, safety issues, but like... Safety and issues aside. Time and money. Yeah, that too. Jackie Chan could do 150 takes to get it right. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that in America yeah. because there's someone watching the, a clock going, we need to move on. Mm-hmm. We can't keep doing the same move over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Jackie's like, yes, we no can. AD. <laughs> we don't have ADs on this set. <laughs> um, yeah, but have you seen any like behind the scenes uh, of any of Jackie Chan movies? Yes. Like the that? I can specifically remember, I know this won't technically count for you, but uh, behind the scenes of Rush Hour and Rush Hour 2. Oh, yeah, my, I love those. My, my friend Cliff owns every single Jackie Chan movie, all 100-plus Jackie Chan movies he Ooh. owns. That is his favorite filmmaker of all time. He loves Jackie. And Sydney, I used to live with him for a time, and he would watch them again and again and again. And he was watching behind the scenes for Rush Hour and Rush Hour 2. Brett Ratner did not direct those movies. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Chan directed those movies. And that's, that, that's my memory of behind the scenes of Jackie Chan to be like – like Ratner's just sitting in his chair drinking a Mountain Dew, like action, <laughs> cut. No, All right, cool. I'm sorry, Jackie. <laughs> so whatever Jackie says, <laughs> just ridiculous. It's 
Jackie Chan is incredible. I know. He's a dedicated filmmaker. Totally. Even on like lesser stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, he just he's just so committed, and yeah. I think that's what made me appreciate. It made me feel like I, I don't know because there's like when you view film criticism, mm-hmm. there's this air of there's this pretense of like solely focusing on story and character and stuff like that and that developmental process of filmmaking and obviously that's not fair to say because there's obviously other forms of criticism, right, but right, majority right. of it mm-hmm. um, so watching Jackie in action and understanding that a lot of these movies are not good in that view of filmmaking um, it just makes me see film for a different light a different dimension a different wrinkle you know mm-hmm. like there's more to it than just a, B, and Z. And yeah, it's making movies is hard. Mm-hmm. Criticizing movies is easy. <laughs> and and we it's I forget it all the time. Yeah. We forget it all the time mm-hmm. that insulting a movie for for what it is and not putting it into the context that it deserves to be put in. A lot of people worked really hard to make yeah. any movie you've seen. Hundreds of people have worked on it, and Just stay after for the credits mm-hmm. and you'll find out. And it's it's easy to criticize Zack Snyder. To be like, you know, you hack. <laughs> uh, but then take a step back and realize how many people worked to make the movie that as it is. Yeah. Despite its fallacies, there is a lot of dedication that goes into filmmaking. Mm. Um, being on sets myself that I haven't been in control of and watching everybody work is always an amazing thing. Working with people where I am in, in charge of a set and seeing how hard people work to help push a vision of mine is an incredible thing. And Jackie Chan is one of those filmmakers where he brings on a dedicated team to help craft his films, even at its worst. Yeah. Like, The Tuxedo is not a movie you're going to remember. <laughs> I mean, Jennifer Love Hewitt at her finest, of course, but <laughs> Jack- Jackie, was that the one where he dresses up like Chung Lee? Oof. Oh, that's, uh, is, was that Project A2 or is that something else? Either way, it's weird. <laughs> I, I think that was a Chinese one. Uh, so there you go, Blueberry. Let's and, see. And favorite commentary, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. Really? Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. Have you heard that commentary? I don't know if I have. Is that Bruce Tim and who else is on there? Is uh, Dean? Kurt Gaeta, who directed the film, and mm-hmm. I think Deanie was on it, too. Oh, wow. And Tamara McGinnis, who was Will Friedel. Will Friedel, <laughs> the old Eric from Boy Meets World. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Friedel! I own that movie. I should check it out. That's great. Um, hey, you know, I am really disappointed in Bruce Tim's current trajectory in his career yeah. for being the incredible visionary filmmaker uh, TV maker I don't know the the producer he was for the Batman animated series and Superman and Static X and even Crypto the Superdog Justice League Justice League Unlimited and those first series of films that is an era of animated features and animated television and an era of comic book adaptation that is just in the upper echelons of greatness and what he's been creating since has been so not good. Yeah. Gods and Monsters last year and The Killing Joke this year, which go back and listen to our episode on that. We did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> what happened that he's he's lost his way? I, I don't he I don't know what it is that is it Warner Brothers meddling? Does did he just lose his voice? Did he go through a divorce maybe? <laughs> what ter- what broke him in his adaptation? Man, I, Answer me, Ben. No, I, 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 I wonder because my my knee jerk reaction was gonna be like, oh, it's the commercialization of the films, so everything that they do in the animated department has to be influenced by the films and the tone and stuff. That's why it's so dark now. Yeah. But if you think about it, 
Batman the Animated Series was spawned from Batman Returns and, and the Tim Burton. The Batman, yeah, so yeah like, the Batman 89. Yeah, I mean, the, the movies always obviously set the tone for anything else that spawns from it because it is the moneymaker. Yeah. But they were able, Bruce Timm was able to respond to that in a way where it was innovative and it was its own entity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's too much like Zack Snyder's visions now. The the new, and it's plus like everything's Batman or Superman. Yeah, like that 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 comes from the top because yeah. the only thing that sells is if is Batman or Superman's name is on it, which is bizarre because like. I looked at the numbers, and the Wonder Woman solo animated film did, like, about the same as those releases. And that one's really good. It was really good. <laughs> I said it when it came out. If you just made this live action, it would be as good and as uh, enjoyed as the first Iron Man. Mm. What happened to you? There? I don't know. All right, here's another, here's another tweet, another comic book one. Uh, oh, I didn't write down who this was from. It's Raspberry OZ. I'm sorry, but the question is, do you want to see... A Spider-Man Daredevil team-up using the current iterations of the characters. No. So the Tom Holland Spider-Man and the what's the guy's name who plays Daredevil? Uh, dude, man, well, I like this. Charlie. Charlie. There you go. Charlie. Oh, come on, come on, it's right there. <laughs> got this. I, got I like him so much too on Boardwalk Empire. I forgot. I'm sorry, Charlie. It's Charlie. <laughs> Someone's screaming at us right now. It's it's Cox, right? Charlie, Charlie Cox. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. It's Thank Cox. You. I think it was Schulze yelling it. Oh, okay. Thank you, Schulze. I could hear. I could, we could hear you through time and space, all the way from Edison. Like the like the movie Frequency, which is now a TV series. You're my Dennis Quaid. <laughs> so you don't want to see Tom Holland meets. Charlie Cox in maybe not on film, maybe on the Netflix. Like no, no team up between those two. You see, there it's so strange because there's some things that you can get away in the comic book universe that you can't live action. Mm-hmm. They've set such a specific tone for Daredevil mm-hmm. that anyone else that was that was to be in there, like that popped up in there, it would feel really weird. Like even. I don't know, even Electra felt kind of weird. It, it just became a super ninja movie. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, okay, I see. It's the any character entering his corner of the universe yeah. has to alter their self. Yeah. I and did. it would be a like a darker version of Tony Stark. It mm-hmm. would be a, a more grittier, grittier version of um, Agent Coulson. Yeah, and. I don't know. I'm not a fan of crossover TV. They did one recently on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and New Girl, Mm -hmm. and it was terrible. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's no reason for them to be in the same universe, you know? Mm -hmm. I I don't know. That's that's obviously a minute example, but um, I don't know. Like, as a fan, obviously you always want these characters to be in the same play, like, sandbox. Yeah. But just stepping back and being an, a viewer of TV, I, I don't know what, what kind of value Spider-Man would add to a Daredevil series. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would go out and say, okay, so going off of you saying that as they are, mixing them together doesn't quite work. Mm. Uh, how? Oh, see, and then and there's no real narrative reason to bring Spider-Man into it unless you're going to bring him in for it for a while. He yeah. can't just like come and go. Mm-hmm. I feel like Coulson or one of the Shield agents, they could come and go. Yeah. I feel like if they popped up for an episode and were gone, it'd be like when Stick pops up in the in the two seasons of of Daredevil, mm-hmm. especially season one. He's there for one episode, then he's gone. I think the agents of Shield could more easily do that into Netflix or the Netflix characters could easily do that into shield Mm. but to bring in one of the movie characters 
then then you're walking a fine line. And here's here's my my, uh, my suggestion of how you could do that. I feel like the the best way that could happen is if Daredevil came across Spider-Man or Captain or one of the superheroes from the movies and they are critically injured because then you won't have to compete with the fact that they are so much stronger and more powerful as characters yeah. in this reality but if you come across them and they're bleeding to death then it is a it is a chance to put these two characters in a conversation together mm-hmm. because seeing them fight side by side what could Daredevil do that Spider-Man wouldn't be able to handle himself, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any sense because this but, guy's walking around with a stick. <laughs> right. But if Spider-Man is critically injured mm. and it's helped me, then now you have an opportunity to explore these two characters to, in a scenario together mm. because they aren't inhibited by their dynamic, their, their vastly different characterizations. Yeah. So that that would be how I would put them together. You know what? That would be an interesting way to introduce the character because I do remember a run – in Daredevil, where he was out of commission, Matt Murdock was out of commission for a while, and Danny Rand took the mantle of Daredevil. That's right. Yep, that was during the it was during the Bendis run when Daredevil was outed mm. as, or when Matt Murdock was outed as Daredevil, and and how they were able to trick the public was Danny took over. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry, you're right. It was when Daredevil was in prison. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when, when Matt Murdock was in prison, mm. Danny Rand took over as Daredevil. Now, what if Peter did took took Danny's place in that arc, in that um, storyline. Yeah. I think that would be pretty – that would make sense. Oh, yeah. you, now now you're in a good place here, right? Yeah. Because imagine having to go up against the kingpin, and yeah. he would know instantly. Just I don't know if Vincent D'Onofrio is as intelligent as kingpin is in the comics mm-hmm. in terms of like his Lex Luthor-level deductive reasoning, but to, to go up against Daredevil and in a split second go, you're not him. Mm-hmm. You're not him. Who are you? And Danny being like, <laughs> Punch! <laughs> See, and the only way you do that is a full a new mask that covers his full face, not knowing who Daredevil is for a stretch of episodes, mm. and then when Kingpin starts kicking the crap out of him, and finally Danny's like glowing fist, <laughs> boom! It's like, oh, it's Danny. Uh... <laughs> Where's Matt? <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so a way to do it. I think there is a way to do it. It's kind of like we were saying with Captain Planet. It's like or Shrek Five. It's like sure. <laughs> you can find a way to do it. <laughs> but do we need to? Do we need to? Do we need to? I do want to see them cross over. I do. They've, they have referential crossover, especially with Luke. There was tons of references to the incident. and But there haven't been any character crossovers from the movies and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. into Daredevil and to the Netflix corner. Yeah. Just, just one character would be great. Crossing either way. If Punisher showed up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that would be awesome. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but, hey, in Marvel we trust right now, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, I think that about does it. That's the end of the episode right there. Another good cast, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead, plug away. Uh, ready, set, go. All right. So many folks know of my work on NBC Asian America, and you can binge watch all 20 episodes of Life Stories, also available on NBCAsianAmerica.com, Facebook, and YouTube. And we're streaming it all on all platforms, including Roku and Apple TV. And you should also like Bama No Name Films on Facebook and com. That's our website. And we're we're about to drop the Immortal Iron Fist. Immortal Iron Fist. Speaking Iron of Iron Fist, yeah. Marvel Comics fan film in one week. So that will be coming out in conjunction with a 
uh, essay that I wrote. This come uh, when is when is uh, Iron Fist come out? I, I, um, no the, specific the date yet. Oh, no still, specific date. Okay, I'm just trying to release it in conjunction with uh, an essay I wrote for Inheritance Magazine. So cool. All right, it'll be coming out soon. All right, and you can follow Ben on Instagram and Twitter at Benji Toes. At Benji Toes. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at TC's Big Head. And while you're at it, head on over to the BitLife Show channel on YouTube where my newest episode of the One Minute Rewatch is up where I do a 60-second review of Jack Reacher, the first one. Uh, check that out and like, share, comment, do all that youtube stuff. And, yeah, we're interested to hear what anyone has to say about this episode you've just listened to, and we will be back next week with V for Vendetta, Hello. which I am very much looking forward to. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it. Remember, remember. Aha. All right, so I am TCD with for Ben over there, for Candace over there. She has headphones on. And for all the rewatchmen everywhere, saying, keep doing what you do. Got no future. Great big past. Little bitty guy on the rim of my glass. Gotta meet the plane so I can get my monkey. Teach him to be cool, but a little bit funky. Got no credit and I got no fear. And I got about a buck so I can buy a beer. Gotta see a doctor about the words I've said. And I gotta get a bike and I gotta paint it red. Oh no, we gotta go.